Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Things making bank. Um, yeah, that we're going to be looking at again the movie, what we thought of it. We're going to have an interesting discussion here about what, the, not just what the critics thought of it, because you know, yelling at critics is like what I do. Apparently, it's just my life now. <laughs> uh, but also, what the uh, some of the fan response to this film and what it and some of the directions and narrative uh, angles that it takes so on and so forth because that's wound up becoming a more interesting kind of ongoing thread than well I mean like Joe Morgenstern is still an asshat but you know beyond that like there there's that that's the more interesting you know point of discussion is how fans have reacted to this uh so I we're probably going to open with that just because, you know, why why bury the lead, so to speak. But uh, here with me, my usual co-host and partner in crime, Mark Radulich. Uh He's the Star Wars fan of on the show, at least at the moment. We, I believe Benjamin Cologne was going to try and get on for this show because he's a massive Star Wars fan. He was on for our review of The Force Awakens. And he's a massive Luke Skywalker fan, too. So I'm, I'd be interested to hear his take if he's able to 
get free and get on. But until then, uh, Mark, how you doing this evening? I brought these gifts for you there up in my bum. I hate you. We were driving around. <laughs> we were driving around. This is the time of year where it's nothing but Christmas music when the family drives around together. And uh, I, whenever um, Winter Wonderland comes on, you know, walking around a winter wonderland, I always change it. And again, this isn't my change. I'm repeating somebody else's change walking around in women's underwear. And, you know, and then this little drummer boy, again, is a bit from Family Guy. I brought these gifts for you. They're up in my bum. But I I said something else tonight. I changed something else. uh, And my wife was like, why do you make all of these Christmas songs dirty? I mean, she laughed, but she was like, this is an ongoing bit. I'm like, no, it's not me. I'm repeating other people's jokes. I just, they're just funny to me, and I, and I keep doing them. But uh, that, that's, that's how I'm doing tonight. I have presents in my bum, and I brought them for you, Robert Winfrey. Would you like a present uh, in my bum? No, I would most certainly not. Oh, you're not in the Christmas spirit at all. No, but seriously, I, um, I, I've been wrestling with what's going on with this movie for a while. Now, this is... This would have broached... Okay. Apparently, Benjamin Cologne cannot get in because Skype sucks. I, I called him using Skype. I don't know what the problem is. But he Skype can't and get blog in for... talk. Skype and blog talk really don't get along all that well. You know, I'm not having a problem. At least, you know, knock on wood. Not yet, in, anyway. Uh... I'll address him in just a second, but this could have, and it hasn't because, you know, reality, but this could have approached Ghostbusters levels of frustrating me. You know, we talked about this last year where the the movie itself was rather benign, but the conversation revolving around Ghostbusters was was not benign. It was actively terrible. No, you're talking about the quality of the movie. The movie, the movie by and large had no cultural effect. The conversation surrounding the movie, however, uh, had a degree of cultural significance to the point where I, it broke me and I no longer wanted to talk to human beings for a while. Um, we had a similar thing with Wonder Woman earlier in the year, but, but you know, kind of the opposite, where Ghostbusters had generated so much hate um, you know, and, and Wonder Woman, we had talked about in a lot of ways, was artificially propped up by people who, uh, but by people engaging in uh, pro, artificial feminism, I guess would be uh, one look, way of putting it. The feminist it. movement gravitated towards Wonder Woman. However, and this is, I think, an important distinction here, Wonder Woman didn't seek that out. Wonder Woman is not a feminist movie in the sense that all the people involved were, you know, touting the virtues and so on and so forth. It was just something that a lot of people in that movement gravitated to. Again, like, conversely with Ghostbusters, where it was, here, women, women in traditional male roles. If you hate this, you're a chauvinistic pig. And... No, we hate it because it sucked ass. Like, 
There's a, there's All a right. difference. Um, well, this this almost like I said the 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 issue with Star Wars almost approached it, and then it got saved by reality, basically. Here, let me put two things out there. One, there there was the issue of the Rotten Tomatoes audience score, which was considerably low and um, very uh, separate, far very far from what the critic score was. Critic score was like ninety three percent fresh. And the Rotten Tomatoes audience score was like 53, which doesn't jive with other things like uh, like the cinema score or I believe the Metacritic score, which I believe lean more, uh, which are more reflective of reality. Then there's the Change.org petition. Somebody, some guy out there decided to write a petition on Change.org to have Disney drop The Last Jedi from canon, uh, put off making Episode Nine and remake Episode Eight. this time without making Luke what he was in The Last Jedi, which essentially is a cross between Jesus and Captain America, I believe is what people want for Luke Skywalker, which, which leads to the discussion of why, why people are having a hard time with this, which, I, which is true. People are having difficulties with The Last Jedi, and we'll, we'll get to that momentarily. But... That seems to be the crux of the issue for a lot of people is I don't like what you did with Luke Skywalker, therefore the movie is bad. Um, and specifically, like I said, this, this petition is out there. So let me address those right off the bat. One, the guy who wrote the petition has since backtracked and said, eh, maybe instead of hating on this movie, we should focus on doing, doing good things for other people. All right, good for you. <laughs> um, People, a lot of people signed the petition. It means nothing. It will achieve nothing. Disney's not remaking the movie, and they're not putting off episode nine. So that was an exercise in masturbation. Uh, therefore, it did not... I thought it was stupid, but it did not frustrate me to Ghostbusters levels. Um, the Rotten Tomatoes thing could have frustrated me, but what has come out is... It seems to be like one guy with a, who, on, who came out on Facebook who was like, yeah, I did this all with bots, and it's because I hate Disney, and he like, artificially sank the audience score. Um, but like I said, when you weigh the audience score against these other measurements, what you get is a pretty clear picture that most people thought the movie was, was fine. <laughs> most people... Um, um, most people enjoyed the movie, and if and, and those that didn't, you know, okay, not not look, not every movie is going to have like a hundred percent, you know, aud- uh, audience in favor of it. So we we narrowly avoided something that was going to frustrate me to the point where I was just going to start screaming on this show. But I wanted to address it. How dare you steal right, my bit, right sir? From, <laughs> right from the get go that. Just, just in terms of the audience uh, opinion of the movie, uh, I think it's. I, I think a fair assessment would be to say most people thought it was okay. Many thought there were some problems, and certainly the certainly the most vocal of those who didn't like the movie seemed to center their argument around what happened with Luke Skywalker, and that's as good a place as any to get into what we thought of the movie. And it's critical elements. But before we do that, we finally have 
one of our guests on the show, Mr. Benjamin Cologne. How do you do, sir? Hey, guys. Uh, I'm on my phone now because it's the same old black talk. Yeah. (laughs) You have my sympathies. No, we're we're right back here talking about Star Wars two two years later, and nothing has changed. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, go ahead and um, kind of get some of Ben's thoughts here on on what we're talking about. You know, the conversation revolving around the movie. I'm going to go ahead and screen the call, screen this other caller. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Uh, all right, so uh, Benjamin, again, thank you for being here. You're, uh, you know, I'm always happy to hear your thoughts on Star Wars. Um, before so before we get going again, a lot of people seem to be struggling with the direction that they took Luke Skywalker as a character. You're a you're a massive fan of Luke Skywalker as a character. Uh, so, did you have any problems with it? What were your thoughts on that? Um, there certainly seemed like there were points in time where I was going to have problems with it. Um. This is a movie, and, and, and you're probably going to hear me talking about this a lot. This is a movie that kind of begs a second viewing just so that you can form a, you know, a reasonable opinion of it um, for the most part, and or at least for me. Um, and I, I enjoyed this movie a lot. And the more I, it, it seems like the more I think about it and the more I talk about it with people, the more I actually do appreciate some of the things that they tried to do with it. Um, I have issues with it. Uh, what you're probably going to hear me talk about a lot is, throughout this is I have I, I've judged this movie basically in two different ways. One is narratively, and the other is thematically. Narratively, I have you know I have some significant issues here and there um, with how the story kind of unfolded and how it, how it was told. Thematically, I think it's one of the strongest Star Wars movies that that exists uh, that has that has ever been made, um, and a big part of the a big theme. There's basically two themes in this movie, and and uh, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself or ahead of you guys with with kind of laying this out here, but no, go um, for, it. for me. For me, there's two there's two major themes, and they made sure I don't you know they didn't. I mean, they stopped short of beating you over the head with it, but, they, you know, it was definitely intentional, and they definitely wanted to make sure that you knew about it, that you knew that these were the themes that, were trying to, that they were trying to get across, uh, Ryan Johnson, the director, was trying to get across. One is uh, we, we learn through failure. That's all over this movie. That's in, out, up, and down. Every character... Everything that every character does, uh, even some of the villains, uh, is a series of you know of failures and building upon failures and some to varying degrees of success than, than others. The other theme is, and it's all it's pretty much explicitly stated. Actually, both of these themes are pretty much explicitly stated. The other one is let the past die and move forward. That's where Luke Skywalker comes in, and that's where you, the idea of, you know, your heroes and and the idea of your heroes and the legend of your hero of what your heroes are is is never going to be any match for the real version of them, for what they really were, what they really are. 
you always remember things as being better than they really were. And that's kind of the point. And that works in both a negative and a positive way. And we see both of those ways in this movie. We see, you know, how far Luke Skywalker has kind of fallen from, you know, the heights that he reached by the end of, by the end of um, Return, Return of the Jedi. And, you know, the, the in-between time, you know, the time in between that. We talked about this a couple, you know, two years ago. I really wish I had gone back and, and recently, like, listened to our to our the episode we, we all were on about Force Awakens because I feel like some of that is relevant here. Uh, and we said that, I, but I know I remember we said back then, this is, uh, in terms of Luke and, and what little we knew about what happened between him and um, and you know, Kylo Ren, you know, Ben Solo uh, back then and and really his relationship with all of the previous, you know, the original Star Wars characters was these are all three people, you know, Luke, Leia, and Han who on some level or another feel like they failed him. And now we see a little bit more of what the nature of that failure was and the consequences of it and the incredible guilt that Luke has felt since then. Um, and I don't think, you know, and I've seen it, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, this is a big character assassination of Luke Skywalker, and this is, you know, this is doing such a disservice to his character. And I, you, that is only true if you believe that the character was infallible in the first place and could never, you know, be anything less than, you know, the perfect Jedi, which he never was in the first place. Uh, in By the end of Return of the Jedi, he comes this close to killing Vader, and that's kind of the point, which is he comes, he he's always right up against the edge of the dark side and then pulls back, and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, unfortunately, we see here he pulled back a little bit too late, and that sort of set all kinds of different events in motion. Um, and we see, you know, a kind of a redemption arc form of sorts. He try, he kind of struggles with whether or not, first of all, whether or not he can make any kind of a difference in what's going on between his nephew and the, uh, the first order and the rebellion and all that. And also the idea of whether or not he really has any right to, and by the end, we see he's made his decision uh, not to really take, you know, take control, but basically to show that he can, that, uh, I want to word this just right, just that, uh, to show that he still believes in, what you know what he fought for what his sister has come to fight for and that he's willing to give his life for it uh even if it's only to for that little bit of a spark of hope to keep the you know to keep the resistance alive all right robert we have another guest a friend of the show david wright how you doing david i'm doing all right thanks yourself oh we're, we're doing good here um, why don't you go ahead and give us, uh, as we get into talking about this, you know, Ben sort of show, uh, gave us his impressions of the movie, and we're going to tackle these piece by piece. Uh, but just give me kind of 50 words on your overall 
a general opinion of the movie. Okay, sure. So uh, my my first thought after seeing the movie was, you know, wow, that was good. My second thought was, I don't really need to see this again. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was just uh, sort of sort of to elaborate. It was the closest thing I can compare it to is Guardians of the Galaxy two, whereas the first movie was kind of you know this fun jaunt through the galaxy, lots of jokes and action, and you know you just you leave that film with a big grin on your face. You've had a great time. The second movie was a lot more plot, character development. You know, overall, like as far as what makes a good movie, it had more of that. But at the same time, it was a bit more of a, you know, a bit more of a slog to get through. So there's sort of two good movies, but in very different ways. And kind of, you know, given the choice of which one I would, you know, like to watch on a Saturday night, it would probably be the first one. Uh, if that yeah. makes any sense. No, it makes no, it makes tons of sense, um, and I totally get that. He, my initial reaction when it was over was I looked over at my friend. And I was just telling Robert I went with my best friend of you know 41 years, both uh, both huge Star Wars fans. We've seen all the trilogy movies together uh, wherever we were in the world. We were, um, and I looked at him and I said, "Dear Lucasfilm and Disney, stop making Star Wars movies. It's not getting any better than this." And there was a pause, and I could hear, like, around the theater, people grumbling. We saw, we went to a, quote-unquote, a fan event. This was the 6 p.m. showing on Thursday. So it was like, you know, for us normal people, it was, like, the earliest you could see the movie. And so we're in there with pretty ardent Star Wars fans. And in just the immediate area around me, I heard people going, that sucked. I heard people saying that was awesome. And my friend even said, yeah, it's about a five out of 10 for me. Like, yeah, I, like a... I'm like 10 of 10. I'm like 10 of 10 on this. This was, this was amazing. Oh my God. So many twists and turns. So, so much deconstruction of the star Wars franchise. I loved it. And he, and he looks at me and he goes, yeah, I'm not in love with this movie. <laughs> okay, so yeah. we, so yeah. right off the bat, we have a very, very divisive movie. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I seem to be like going back and forth. Like, oh, I really like that, or oh, that didn't quite work for me. Oh, but I like that too. Like, I, I just keep on going back and forth between like I, I, I still don't know how I feel about this movie. Is kind of what I'm, what I'm saying here. As for most of the, the flack I've heard it get, uh, it seems to be most of the fan outrage seems to be they didn't make the movie that they never promised us they would make. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty I much. didn't get the movie I wanted. Yep. Uh, and we said, yeah, you know, it, Ben, I did, go back, I did go back and listen to the Forest Awakens review, um, and, I, and there was two things that came out of that. One um, was, you know, us saying, and, and this has been seconded by a lot of people, um, people with podcasts and YouTube shows and all that, that The Force Awakens was a product relaunch. It was a dusting off of a damaged property. Um, it was, you know, to, to get people motivated to continue to watch Star Wars movies. Uh, but two, these were always going to be the subject of, and this is something Lucas has talked about, and it's part of the reason I think he, he was moved to just sell off Star Wars and to be done with it. And I make fun of Lucas for this idea, but to an extent, I see where he's coming from, and, and, I, and I'm sympathetic. It's you as a director, you as a, as a film creator, want, want to express your vision. And then you have this, 
fan, you you have these um, th- this fan culture that adopts your property as their own and then yells and screams and throws tantrums when you don't give them collectively what they want. And it's frustrating as an artist to to deal with that. I'm sorry, go ahead, Dave. Oh, yeah. Well, and uh, what they want is something different, but the same. (laughs) Yeah. This this is now reminding me of a Simpsons bit. But um, look look at uh, look at uh, Force Awakens. It's too much like a new hope. Then last Jedi, it's nothing like Star Wars. Right. Well, yeah, that's one yeah. thing. You will nobody will ever say that this movie is anything like Empire Strikes Back, except for a couple of times that they purposely baited and switched you into thinking that it was going to be. Oh, like the yeah. opening credit crawl where they're like, "Well, they have to escape from the the rebel base before yeah. the first order gets there." It's like, "Whoa, this sounds familiar." By the way, they also God, I... they. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, they also baited and switched a couple of times, you know, you into thinking it was going to go, it, it was a couple of scenes in, in Return of the Jedi as well. And I think you know which ones I'm talking about, like the most obvious ones. Well, it's so so funny because I read that opening crawl and it, it's so funny emotionally the, the roller coaster I went on with this movie because I read the opening crawl and I immediately was frustrated and hated the movie, like instantly. I was like, oh, give me a fucking break. This is going to be the Empire Strikes Back all over again. I just elbowed my friend. I'm like, well, here we go. Bring on the asteroid field. I bet that someone's going to fly the Millennium Falcon into one. Let's go. Who are they going to put in carbonite this time? And my friend started chuckling. And and then almost immediately, and this is what I mean by it's a systematic deconstruction of the entire franchise. Once, one scene after another, they actually they they give you these things and then they tear them apart, which is one of the things I like about this movie. But um, me too. We do have a we do have a main host here. Let me get back to him and let him do his twenty five cent uh, synopsis of the movie that we are currently uh, gushing over. So go ahead, Robert. Why don't you tell us in fifty words or less what happens in this movie? Robert, did we lose you? Hang on, sorry, sorry. My, I muted my mic because my dog freaked out and then forgot to unmute it. Um, it's okay. At least I wasn't saying anything during that time anyway, so we're all good. Um, <laughs> no, I wanted to say that I imagine most uh, a significant portion of Star Wars fans now is Principal Skinner up in front of all the angry people uh, doing the verbal two-step around <laughs> women and men are the same, but they're not it's the differences of which there are none that makes the sameness all that more (laughs) what do you people want me to say (laughs) yep go looking for that now yeah it's yeah yeah. what what do you people want from me nobody wants the same thing uh the other one that they want they want magic i was gonna I was thinking, now Now I'm also thinking of Mayor Quimby. You people are all flim-flam. Yeah, give us hell, Quimby. Give us hell, Quimby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, well, I, can, I can tell you what they want. I, I know exactly what they wanted. Like, I, I could give you the Star Wars fans' dream Flash Jedi in, like, about one minute. Yeah, they re-release yeah. A New Hope. Oh, no, it's uh, Ray gets, Ray sees Luke, like, you're my daughter, okay, I need you to train me. No, I don't want to. It's like, well, you really should, it's important, okay, I will. Training montage. Okay, let's go defeat the First Order. Okay, let's go. You know, you know go, go right to Snoke's uh, throne room. 
And it's like, Kylo Ren, you should be a good Jedi. And I was like, no, I don't want to. Well, yes, you do. Okay, I will now. Snoke's like, I really Darth Plagueis. Ha, we knew it. Kill him. You know, roll credits. That's it. Everyone happy. You know? I I could have simplified that even more so. I'm pretty sure the movie they wanted was for Luke to to literally stand in front of the entire First Order, wave his hand, and everything fall over. That's it. It would be boring. They, They wanted Luke Skywalker to stand in front of the First Order and be Captain America. That's and and I and I'm not like and I'm not coming down on the Captain America character because surely he he was presented as a more conflicted character in uh, in his movies. But I think the perception of what people wanted was, you know, maybe an even better idea would be uh, R- Christopher Reeve's Superman. They they wanted they they wanted the overpowered Boy Scout. And instead, you get this complex character who's been traumatized by his, you know, by his own actions and by and by the the events that he's caused. And people are like, "No, don't make Luke complex. Don't, no, I wanted Superman." My head Robert, hurts. <laughs> no, no, the, the other. I was going to say, there's one more Simpsons bit that I now come to think of as slightly more prophetic than I think they intended. Because at the time, this was right after The Phantom Menace was released, and you get the bit where The Simpsons, and this this whole thing is like The Simpsons writers roasting their version of George Lucas, who was like oh, Randall Curtis. You're about to talk about my least favorite episode of Simpsons of all time, aren't you? I'll be very brief, because the only thing that I wanted to touch on was, in the beginning, when they're all sitting there for the opening credits for The Phantom Menace, and they start the opening crawl, and Bart's kind of reading it out loud. And it gets into the details of, like, you know, intergalactic politics. And he goes, huh? I didn't come here to read. And Lisa's, and Lisa, of all people, sitting next to him goes, no, no, this is okay. They're just going to give us more screen time of the pew, pew, vomp, vomp, roar. Which is apparently also what, like, Lisa Simpson is apparently the... A significant portion of Star Wars fans who just want the pew pews. Um, to be fair, the sound design is incredible. Yeah, it always is. Uh, all right. As for the Last Jedi, uh, it's been kind of mentioned here. We pick up with the First Order assaulting the Resistance. Uh, this goes relatively badly at the beginning. The Resistance is deeply underpowered. Uh, they, but they do manage to escape. After our ace fighter pilot, uh, Poe Dameron, yeah, yep, uh, decides that, no, we have to take out this dreadnought. And they do at the expense of the majority of their fighters and their entire bombing squadron. But, hey, you got one Imperial ship, good for you, which is basically the message that Leia gives him when he gets back on the main ship. Uh, during this... Sorry, I'm not going to editorialize yet. I have a major issue with one of the characters that kind of stems from this. Uh, during this, again, bombing run, all the bombers are destroyed, but one is able to drop its payload. Uh, all right, I have to get my Mr. Wizard out of the way here. I, I, just, I have yes. to talk about this because it bothered me so much when I saw it. The only thing no they gravity do in to... Space? Re- yes, thank you. <laughs> all they do is <laughs> yeah. drop bombs, and there's no gravity. They would just float. I hear you. I'm, I hear you. I'm hoping... But that I'm makes hoping, it no you know, sound in space either. 
I immediately just came up with some head. I immediately came up with some head cannon that they just launched all of them from like a rail, like like a magnetic rail, and sent them in motion, and that would have done it. That would have done it. That's all you need to show me. (laughs) That's it. Stop ruining the magic of Star Wars. Stop ruining the magic of Star Wars with science. God damn it! It's fantasy. Move on. I know. (laughs) Believe me. This there is no greater. If you anyone who ever argues with me that this franchise is science fiction from now on gets to rewatch the opening bit of this movie and try to explain to me the scientific accuracy of any of it. So uh, tune in next week for the uh, Physics of Star Wars or Lack Thereof podcast. Network. Again, like ju- just the la- just, that was the only that and Leia like surviving in the vacuum of space for as long as dumbest thing ever, but. Oh, we'll get to that. Anyway, again, like I'll—I had to get that off my chest because it was just so stupid. But anyway, they do manage to escape. However, they are tracked. Um, this bit reminds like they are somehow tracked through hyperspace, through vagaries of technology, uh, by the first step by the first order, and they have—they manage to put just enough distance between themselves and the pursuing fleet to avoid instant annihilation, but they are being harried, and they know they can't jump to light speed again, or they will be tracked again, and they're running out of fuel. Uh, I mean this as a compliment, by the way, but that whole bit, that's that's a great, like, Battlestar Galactica setup. Um, the new one, not the old one. Yeah, uh, 33. And as a result, they are now, like, pretty desperately like trying to figure out what are we going to do. Leia is blown into space and through force magic uh, returns to the ship but she is incapacitated. They are taken over by... The next in the line of command is a Vice Admiral uh, it's Laura Dern. Yeah, I don't remember I her name either. Um, and her plan is, well, we're going to keep going. And she doesn't elaborate beyond that. And uh, Poe doesn't like this because, well, we can't possibly win if we just keep going like we are. We're just going to get picked off. We're going to run out of fuel anyway if we keep doing this. This, this doesn't work. I'm going to come up with some harebrained scheme, and this is what we're going to do. So he meets with Finn and our, re- again, the character that like annoyed me the most, uh, Rose. Mm. And they concoct this plan to infiltrate the pri- uh, Snoke ship, which is enormous and looks kind of like a, a bit like a... Not a B-52. What the hell am I thinking of? A B-2. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, thank you. I should remember no that, problem. but I didn't. Uh, anyway. They will infiltrate that. They will then disable the active tracking technology that lets them follow them through light speed, and that will enable the fleet to make one last hyperspace jump to safety, and we can reset from there. In order to do this, we need the Master Codebreaker, uh, who exists apparently on this planet where there's a casino that is the primary source of, uh, I don't know, like, that's where they are directed. Hang on, I, I, don't, I, have, I have to say it, that whole Canto bite scene, Robert... Is this the Trumpiest movie of 2018? Oh, Come on. shut this up. Is, <laughs> this was rich people selling weapons to both sides and then being trampled by space horses. Is this not the Trumpiest movie of 2018? Huh? Huh? 
Which I think private companies pro- profiting off of warfare is more of a Bush era thing, actually. <laughs> that goes all the way back to Wilson. All right, let's be very clear about this. If we're no, limiting this, the discussion to American politics, it actually goes back. No, further we're not. Than that. We're, if we we're want to not. go back, like, I just the history of the world was... and war profiteering. Believe me, the Roman Empire had some seriously rich dudes, and they didn't get that no, way this... selling. This was more of a nipple twisting on Robert's part because we've had to deal with people calling movies Trumpy this year or Trumpiest. So that was it. Not even That's a all word. I to do. Not even a word. <laughs> Except the space uh, Or no, wait, uh, pie people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, like I, I hated the whole like casino scene. Not just because, not for like any political reason. I just thought it was stupid. Anyway, so Rose and. Finn head out to the this uh, casino to meet their master hacker. This is interspersed with Ray meeting up with Luke and Luke. Uh, he doesn't. <laughs> Luke, don't, uh, sorry, I can't swear at the moment. Uh, Luke has no f's to give about the about the flight of anything. Um, he is. Just kind of hanging out on his planet, on his island. He's existing, and Ray's trying to get him to come on. We need you. And his response—he actually says—it's one of my favorite lines. What do you expect me to do? Stand in front of an army with a laser sword? <laughs> yeah, it's a great line. Anyway, Ray is trying to get him to assist them, or at least kind of help her figure out what's going on. Luke is kind of slowly coaxed back into this through a little bit of. Emotional manipulation from R2-D2, and Chewbacca shows up, and he again, he kind of gets back into it. Uh, he decides to give Ray what he called, you know, the three lessons that will kind of illuminate you as to how I arrived at my position and why the Jedi need to go away. Uh, the... Uh, his response, and he has some good ones, I suppose I'll get into detail with that when I talk about what I liked about the movie. Uh, that all goes eh, not so good. Uh, there's apparently some kind of force connection between Ray and Kylo Ren, which lets them communicate on occasion. And there's like, an inner development there as far as their relationship going back and forth. Uh, on Casino Planet, which is all I'm calling it, it's not actually a whole planet, but that's all I'm referring to the planet as. Uh, I go with myself. I'm just calling it Casino Planet. Canto Bite. Look, you want to? I will argue the minutia of other things. I'm not arguing the minutia of this. If you want to call it that, fine. What its name? Sure. Sure. I mean, it only. I mean, sure. It it, it bites, all right. Um, Uh, Well, it can't bite bite, actually. Anyway, they get locked up because they don't know the laws or customs of this city. They miss their master hacker and instead have to settle for Benicio Del Toro. I'm sure every producer and casting director ever has felt this exact same pain. All right, we couldn't get who we wanted. We'll settle for Benicio Del Toro and his inconsistent stutter. He seems mildly Uh, interested in things. (laughs) Uh... That's my least favorite character, and I'm sure we'll get to that, too. Yeah. 
He probably just thought it was a Disney film, so he had to play the collector again. Probably. (laughs) His stutter is meant to reflect fear of Thanos, even in a completely different universe. Yeah, he was probably just like, who's who's signing the check again? Oh, Disney. Oh, okay, I know how to do this. Hey, wait a minute. There's there's an Infinity Gauntlet floating around. We still don't know if it's a completely different universe yet. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Um, There's your epic crossover. Just throwing it out there. (laughs) And don't um, think that that's above Disney. It's not. I know. Oh, I don't. <laughs> but they're they're um, keeping that in reserve if things get bad. Uh, anyway, so they then, and again, a lot of this is happening simultaneously. So they head back towards the fleet with the plan of, again, disabling the tracking so that the fleet can escape. The fleet... Uh, isn't going so hot. They're constantly losing ships to fuel being lost, and then they are destroyed by the, you know, might of the Empire. I don't care. That's the First Order. It's the Empire. They've made that abundantly clear. Uh, Poe is increasingly unhappy and winds up leading a mutiny, like you do. <laughs> um, as, anyway, so again, Ray, uh, Ray and Luke wind up coming to... They come to blows. Um, it, they reveal what you know the impetus for Luke's isolation was. He tried to rebuild the Jedi Order with you know his nephew Ben and a few other Force-sensitive people, and he kept sensing growing darkness in again Ben Solo. And at one point, looked into his mind and saw that you know raw mass of rage and anger and darkness, and saw the future. So we thought of him you know being a terrible human being and thought you know. If I just kill this guy, I can save everyone a lot of problems. He just want to go, he, Luke, Luke, wait, no, no. He's a teenager. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And he still is a teenager emotionally, you know, ten years later. Because that's the arc of Kylo Ren is emotional teenager. Um, and anyway, Luke decided against this, but... Ben woke up and saw him standing over him with a lightsaber looking like he might try to kill him, and he reacted like you might if you saw a grown man standing over you brandishing a weapon looking like he might kill you. Uh, It was badly. And he killed a bunch of people, uh, made off with a few other... uh, Students. Students. For some reason, my mind kept going to younglings, and I'm like, no, that's just not right. Um... They made off with the so those are the ones you didn't leave with. Yeah, because really, if you want to be Ant, if you wish, if you aspire to Darth Vader, you have to slaughter younglings. It's just how that goes, while not emoting through your face, because that's how Hayden Christensen goes. Oh my God! Get on with it. <laughs> oh no, I'm drawing this out to torture you. Um, <laughs> Actually, I think you're doing really good for time. We only anyway, have so, two hours. I know. I know. Uh, so Ray winds up leaving after she discovers this bit of truth and that Luke is just not going to be moved into actual action. Uh, she takes the Millennium Falcon and decides to head out and meet up with Kylo because she believes she can turn him back from the dark side to the good side. I mean, really, he, he's, he's just a little bit broken. I can fix him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm sorry. That's yeah. all that went through my head during that bit. <laughs> oh, man. I've that on this show. It's a low yeah, bar for, to for, clear. All, for all you listeners out there, that never works. 
Um, anyway, as this is going on, Luke gets a vision from Ghostmaster Yoda, which was probably the highlight of the movie for me in a lot of respects. Yep. Basically telling him to stop being a little bitch. And, you know, you screwed up. That's fair. You screwed up pretty bad, yeah. But, you know, failure is an opportunity to learn. And you're, you've not taken that opportunity, thus rendering it a real tragedy rather than a simple learning experience. Uh, anyway, our rescue operation with, again, Finn and Rose and Benicio Del Toro lands on the ship. It doesn't actually work. They get captured as Poe has, again, staged his mutiny, but his plan is now falling apart around him, and he gets stunned. The original evacuation plan of the final cruiser gets underway, and he's like, no, if we leave, we'll be destroyed, because look at them and look at us. And really... Vice Admiral, this is all on you. If you just explained even the tiniest bit of your plan, like this whole thing could have been avoided. But, uh, you know, the Rebels, they lose all the time because they just make bad tactical decisions. Like, they deserve to lose so much. It's like, hey, this is a good idea. No, it really isn't. Uh, So, anyway, they start evacuating. But Benicio Del Toro, he's the one who turns rat. And he sells out the resistance uh, stealth codes in exchange for money and immunity. Can't say I blame him, really. There's always somebody. Well, I mean, you think about it. He's he's in the interrogation room. It's like, look, this could go one or two ways. One, we kill you slowly. Or two, you tell us what you know, and we give you money and let you go. Which would you choose? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the uh, spend, they met the man in a jail cell, you know, like. This is not an emotionally attached individual, but. He asked for payment so, up front. He did, which you should do anyway, as a matter of course, by the way, everybody out there. Yeah. Uh, so the anyway, receipts. Kylo takes uh, Ray to meet Snoke. Uh, poor Andy Circus. Uh-huh. Um. And so they wind up with a little bit of a, you know, uh, a, la- a Return of the Jedi callback. Kylo turns on Snoke and eviscerates him remotely with a lightsaber. And a, that actually was kind of, I do want to talk a little bit about that and why I think that worked so well. Uh, there's a mediocre fight scene. As uh, Finn and Rose are about to be executed, but... Because the Empire has now been, like, launching and destroying these away ships and is systematically destroying what little hope the Resistance has left, the last person on uh, the final remaining ship, again, the Vice Admiral, turns it around, does an about-face, and promptly goes to light speed right through Snoke's ship. And I really have to question why they haven't done more of this more often, because that seems like a deeply efficient technique. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they, they, she wiped out. I the motion. She wiped out. That's really great good. so much. It, it, I was going to say, it, it's kind of a Daffy Duck thing. It's like, that's a great trick. <laughs> yeah, but I can only do it once. You do it once. <laughs> well, sure, one person can only do it once, but you're a, you are the resistance. Like, if there's anyone who's going to not be afraid of the suicide bombing strategy, it's, it's the underdog. <laughs> uh, anyway. This buys everyone on the ships enough time to get to the planet that they, uh, the uncharted planet that they were all landing on. Uh, 
Ray and Kylo Ren wind up doing a little bit of battle because they each want the other to join their side, and it's, it's just not happening, folks. Um, Ray escapes with the Millennium Falcon. Kylo Ren assumes command of the First Order as the new Supreme Commander, uh, much to the chagrin of Brendan Gleeson's son, who serves no purpose in this movie, and I kept waiting for him to die. Comic relief. You have porgs. You don't need any more comic relief, all right? True. Like, oh, no, we need comic relief, but you already have Ewoks. It's just so not necessary. <laughs> uh, anyway, this leads to a battle on the planet's surface where the Resistance is sending out a signal to all of their allies because help will come in this desperate hour. It, it doesn't. Uh, the First Order lands a fleet, another scene reminiscent of... No, this one is reminiscent of the attack on Hoth. Uh, there's a near-heroic sacrifice from Finn that is aborted because... I mean, hey, why would you actually wow. want... The, well, why would you actually want to, you know, destroy their uber weapon that blows through our blast doors? Aborted no, no, because no. love will conquer all. That's all that needs to be said for now. Is and John Boyega signed a three-movie deal because <laughs> we don't want to keep, we don't want to destroy and hate. We want to solve the problem with love. Because Boyega has plot armor. If random grunt number thirty-six is making that charge, he lands it. We don't want to do, don't want to act out in hate. Hate leads to the dark side. Love will win the day. Move on. <laughs> yeah, sure. Remember 70 years ago where we loved all over Europe? Yeah, we did. Woo, did we? And then we loved all over South Vietnam. But go on. And now everybody uh, loves us. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, there's a yeah, so, yeah, there's a big battle that again, they is stalled when Luke Skywalker arrives and walks out into a field of, you know, AT-ATs and prompts a barrage of, you know, blaster fire and then walks away unscathed, gets into a confrontation with Kylo. All of this is an elaborate stalling mechanism to let the last of the Resistance sneak out through the back tunnels and then board the Millennium Falcon and head off for, I assume, Tatooine, because that's just what we do at this point. And... It's revealed that this isn't actually Luke. He's not physically there. It's a force projection. He is essentially trolling Kylo Ren and doing a beautiful job of it. Um, so the Resistance escapes to begin reforming the Rebellion in the face of the First Order. Luke, through the exertion, winds up dying and becoming one with the Force. And we see a bit of hope starting to spread throughout the galaxy. Roll credits, set up third, you know, set up movie number nine. Uh, all right, Mark. Did I miss anything major from the plot that you wanted to touch on, or can we get into you know likes and dislikes? No, no. I think like likes and dislikes. Um, let's right off the bat. Can we deal with one of the biggest complaints of the movie? Um, and, it, and in a subcategory, it kind of deals with humor, whether or not it misses or it hits. But right off the bat, the thing that I've heard from a lot of different reviewers has been Luke tossing the lightsaber. I think that warrant that, that that merits discussion. I personally didn't have a problem with it. 
Um, and and here's why. I it's supported through the rest of Luke's actions in the sense that his message throughout this movie is. And and he and he says a couple of things in the movie that I thought were rather poignant. He has the one line about how uh, at the height of the Jedi's power, they allowed Darth Sidious to rise and decimate the Jedi, and that it is the height of hubris to think that after all is said, and, you know that that somehow without humanity there can be no Force. The Force will exist whether or not there are Jedi. And to think otherwise is absurd. And I really like that. I also can see why people hate it, you know, whether or not, you know, or if they, if they got it at all. But what he's basically well, saying is... It made perfect sense to me. Yeah. I there, mean, there's this... Well, let's not forget. There's... Sorry, yeah, uh, if, if I might interrupt. Yeah. Yeah. But let's not forget, we actually had the line, I think it was in episode three, it's like, we need Anakin to go and find the Sith Lord hiding in the Senate. But I'm afraid about pairing him up with Senator Palpatine. He's been acting very suspicious, gathering a lot of power to himself, and I sense the dark side around him. You think the two might be connected there, base? You know, just just saying. You know, like, the, did anyone ever think, like, oh, Senator Palpatine, is that a lightsaber in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? So, this is what I mean yeah. by a lot of this movie is a deconstruction of... The tropes and you know, and the things that we have come to, I guess, as fans love about the Star Wars universe. And I don't mind a deconstruction. I don't mind taking tried and true and turning it on its head and challenging people. But as we've talked about on Damn You Hollywood many, many times before, people don't go to the movies today to be challenged by and large. They go to the movies to escape, and it's very hard to escape the, the mundaneness of the difficulties of everyday life when you're being challenged on the very notions of things that you believe or that you just accept as being wonderful. Maybe the thing that you think is wonderful isn't wonderful. Maybe it's terrible. But th- w- without getting too philosophical, the, that, Luke is handed this lightsaber and it's been, in, it's been in, um, endowed with this meaning it's been endowed with all of this. It is uh, literally Anakin's lightsaber, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he takes it, sneers, and throws it over his shoulder. And when I tell you, people are are not to overuse this word, but deconstructing that very act. People are like, well, maybe he should have tossed it in front of him. Maybe that he should have dealt with it another way. But, but by tossing it over his shoulder, it's comedic and it takes away from the meaning. I don't think so because I literally think. By tossing it over his shoulder, he was saying to her, none of this shit matters. This doesn't matter. Um, uh-huh. and, and, I, and, and, the, and the fact that you've come with all this reverence means nothing to me. Uh-huh. It's show don't tell. great about that. Yeah. In that one moment, you get it. That Luke is like, you to heck with this. Like, I, I don't care. I'm out. I mean, the timing on that moment was comic, but that doesn't mean that you know, we, we, we didn't get any meaning from the action. Oh, may I please? May I please? (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. The the floor is yours, sir. Okay. Um, I had had the same knee-jerk reaction as a lot of people to that scene because that was basically the, you know, the, the cliffhanger for two years after Force Awakens. 
And at the time, it felt it felt harsh. It it kind of hurt. Uh, but you look back on that movie, and that was the first shot across the bow of exactly what this entire movie was about, and exactly what everybody was was supposed was supposed to be in for. That was the first signal of this is what this movie is going to be. It's everything that you thought, uh, everything that you placed all of this, uh, you know, reverence on is no longer sacred. There are no more sacred cows, at least in this movie. This movie did a really good job of taking a lot of sacred cows that Star Wars has built up over the years and sometimes outright just setting them on fire Sometimes for the better, sometimes not so much. But uh, that that lightsaber scene was an easier pill to swallow with a little, with with a lot of the stuff that came after it, and a lot of stuff that Luke was talking about. I'm with you, Mark. With I I love the scene where he's explaining like what he's pretty much become you know come to understand about the Force because it's something that nobody has acknowledged before, nobody at any length anyway that. And and he's constantly throughout the movie pushing this idea that the Force is bigger than his family and bigger than the Jedi and bigger than the Sith and bigger than the Empire and bigger than the Republic and bigger than human beings as a whole, which is uh, which is thought provoking on its own. In you know in the context of Star Wars, it's downright subversive, and this movie is full of that stuff. And and in some way, like it, it's it's it took a lot of balls to like really bring this, these type of things up. And like you were saying before, like Disney's whole uh, idea and, and whole driving force moving forward with star Wars is they're creating a new universe or they're expanding on the universe that, that, you know, that Lucas started. And in order to do that, uh, they, the, uh, you know, at some point you have to acknowledge that, you know, these, these actors and these characters can't live forever and there has to be something new to replace them. And that was this movie. This movie felt like the transitional period of, you know, okay, it's time for something new. And this movie was constantly, you know, clearing the decks for, for that. Um, also, what, what nobody wants to acknowledge is that even within the mythos of Star Wars and certainly outside of it by fans, this movie is really meta in a lot of ways. The concept of what the Jedi are and had gone, you know, what, what the Jedi are and have become had kind of gone way too far up its own ass over the past 40 years. And somebody finally called the entire series on it. Like, there was an entire imperative of, like I said, oh, you know, it's time for something new in terms of mythology, in terms of the characters, and in terms of your expectations. Yeah, you don't need Jedi. You don't need Sith. There's no light side, dark side. It's just the Force. It's just a Force that connects well, I think, everything. I think it's like there, there is all of those things. It's just that they don't need these constructs of people to exist. Yeah, it's just uh, you know, politicizing they... the force. Can I bring up something slightly off track, but I think relates to this discussion? I don't know who here watches the Orville. Shut up, Rob. I know you hate Seth MacFarlane and everything he stands for. I do. I but really do. <laughs> All right. I haven't seen it. 
I haven't so seen it. So if you'll, in- gentlemen, if you'll indulge me for at least a minute, there's an episode of the, the season finale of the Orville focuses on um, a character on the ship who goes down to a planet, and it's a planet that that it's still in like the Bronze Age, uh, the equivalent of the Bronze Age on, on Earth, and the, uh, she comes across a hu- a humanoid life form, is a little kid. Kid falls, cuts her head, and just like in Star Trek, you know, uh, they have a don't interfere with uh, with indigenous populations who have not at least discovered space travel. Again, it's the the same con- same sort of prime directive in Star Trek. Uh, but she, b- despite herself, she can't let the kid bleed out, so she heals her and then disappears before anybody can see her. Um, the the trick with this particular planet is it's in this weird orbit that it shifts dimensions. So uh, when it leaves our dimension, 700 years in that planet's lifetime passes before it reappears in our dimension, which is only 11 days later. Okay, so for every for every 11 days in our world is 700 days, uh, 700 years in this planet's lifetime. So the next so 11 days later, they've entered like the Renaissance period. And what they what they come to realize is the, the character's name is Kelly. Um, a religion has formed around Kelly, the healer. And they discover what looks to be like the Catholic Church, basically, that is revolving around Kelly. And the whole and, and uh, the big part of the episode is them trying to undo what Kelly did, because Kelly does not want to be a deity in this world um, for obvious reasons. But the point that I'm getting to is at the end of the episode, uh, Despite whatever machinations they tried, this the species on this world eventually uh, does away with the Kelly religion. Um, they understand that Kelly, you know, was an, was an actual person in this other dimension. Um, but what they say, and I thought this was rather profound, is regardless of what you did, there was always going to be something that generated a religion that our world would revolve around. And over time, through the natural course of history and technology, we would do away with that religion. That is, that is just the lifespan of culture and religion in almost any universe. And, to, and that idea of that, you know, ideas and energy and all of this stuff will, you know, will have a lifespan of its own devoid of whatever human beings do with it or don't do with it, I thought was rather poignant, especially for Seth MacFarlane's show on Fox. Yeah, but it's on Fox. Um, a little bit of crusty. Hey, it did you. more than one episode than Discovery's done in nine. That's another <laughs> podcast. That's another podcast. Uh, but I, it's the same thing here, and I, and I want to move on from this point just for time. But I really feel like that's what a big message that this movie is saying it's it's uh don't get so hung up on these things and, and rites and rituals and um organizations all all that really matters is, is the existence of these of these energies of these beliefs and then we can you know and then we can move on from that that to you know again kylo says it in both movies force awakens and the last jedi let the past die you know, move on from this, um, which, again, is probably why so many people are struggling with this. But that's, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse. 
Um, let's move on from that opening sequence. Uh, let's talk a little bit about let's let let's expand the conversation, and then we can move on to some other characters. How do we all feel about the overall story, the overall arc of Ray, Luke, and and by extension Ray, Kylo Ren? I'll go over to you first, David. Um, I'm going to leave this open-ended to you guys to bring up your own points. But uh, the story they told with Ray on the planet, how Luke deals with her, I, uh, j- just to be clear, I liked all of it. I, I liked, and I was talking to Robert about this before the show started, um, my friend had a real problem with the reason why Luke went into hiding, you know, went into isolation. And I said... You know, like he he was saying basically, oh, just because he tried to kill Ben Solo wouldn't necessarily make him, you know, become a hermit. And I'm like, do you not understand how trauma works? <laughs> you are not only responsible for your nephew becoming one of the great murderers of the galaxy, but you are indirectly now responsible for the deaths of a slew of, of, of Jedi, of a slew of people. Um, and it's all because you had a moment of personal failure. You had a moment of, of, of doubt and how, how much that can weigh on somebody. And he struggled with that. I didn't. I saw Luke's journey, and it made perfect sense to me. Um, especially as far as, two seconds. Go, 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 Just go, go. Especially. Especially somebody who at that point must have been held up as, you know, you know, the the person who basically saved the galaxy and you know, right. you buy into your own, you buy into your own hype of, you know, I can't, I can't be, I can't be wrong and I can't fail, but I did. Yeah. Spectacularly, <laughs> spectacularly failed. Um, and then you have Ray who I love Ray's story in this. And she has a great line. Like I need someone to show me my place in all of this. And then you have that exchange with her and Kylo Ren, which people also hated because Rey was supposed to be everyone's daughter. She was a Palpatine. She was a Kenobi. She was Anakin. I, I love that theory. I love it because it's so horrible that she, that she was, you know, midichlorians birthed yet another child. Um, she was all these things, and it turns out she's a nobody who has no place in this story. I, I loved all of that. So I'm going to go ahead and, for time, take a back seat here. I'll go to David and then Ben. Uh, and then, if, Robert, if you have anything you want to add. Ray Luke, Ray Kylo Ren, go. Well, yeah, I understand everyone's complaint that, you know, they wanted to see more of Luke's great Jedi adventures. But, I mean, you know, Mark Hamill, he's not as young as he used to be. Like, you're, you're not going to get that. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, you know, Harrison Ford almost couldn't finish the last film because a door fell on him. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Carrie Fisher, nothing more needs to be said, but, yeah, but, uh, yeah, overall for the arc, like, yeah, you have to get into Luke's, like, you know, the pressure of one, he has to rebuild the Jedi after getting basic training, and then you also have the added effect that, you know, he says, he said it, he says it in the movie, Leia trusted me, she trusted me with her son, so not only did he let, you know, Ben down, he let Leia down, probably let Han down, and like everything he has been forced to, you know, that burden to shoulder just, you know, failed spectacularly. It's like, you know, I made the next Vader. 
So uh, it's, it's no wonder that he just kind of goes, you know, oh, this is all a load of crap. And then, you know, that's, that's, that's him. And it's sort of Ray kind of saying, like, no, you, you can still be a hero. You can still inspire people to action, which is what the whole end scene is when you see the slave children, you know, reenacting that battle at the end of the movie. You know, where, you know one guy stands up against the First Order and the resistance escapes. You know, it's so cool. Become a legend in the end. Yeah, like that's that's the point of the end of that movie is, you know, there are other to be Jedi people out there, and that's the story that's informing them the way they want to be. Just like when we see Ray at the beginning, she has that little rebel pilot doll in her ATAT, and you know, like you know, she's heard the stories of the Battle of Hoth and you know the Death Star and all this stuff, and that's what motivated her to become a hero. Once you know she was able to to get out into that, and when Ray meets Luke and discovers you know no he's just this guy who happens to be a Jedi, and you know he's no better than the rest of us, and kind of realizing that you know he's not going to magically you know step out there and kick butt and you know save the day. It's like I'm going to have to learn how to do that myself if I want to do this. You know that's 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 the arc of the character. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, where to begin? This is, um, like I said before, um, my, you know, my, my criticisms divide into narrative and, and, uh, thematic and narratively, this is, this is the part of the story that actually works for me. The other half, not quite so much. I think the other half, this movie is, uh, is 100% of a great idea and maybe about 50 to 60% of a well-told story. Um, and this is the part yeah. that's actually good. The, the, the other, the, you know, the other half, uh, the characters kind of hold up a little bit, but other, you know, if it weren't for them, it'd be a train wreck. Um, but this part, this whole arc where it's, it's really, like I said, this is a really meta movie and it speaks to like a, not just, uh, you know, the mythos of, of what Star Wars has become, but all, you know, within the, the story itself, but, you know, people's, people outside of the movie's perception of it and what it is and what the characters are and have become and are supposed to be. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of emphasis on the fact that, like, you know, our heroes are not always what we think they are and they don't always necessarily live up to the image that we create for them in our, in our heads. And that's, that's how we find Luke. And even he, uh, you get the sense that he's not where he wishes he could have, you know, he, he's, he's not at a point where he wishes he could have been. He has a, you know, ton, you know, a ton of regrets and it takes a lot to, to turn him around and, and, and make sure, you know, make him decide, you know, I, I still have a role to play in this. It's not going to be a big role, but it's going to be like, um, like uh, Poe says towards the end, you know, he, for him to be the spark that lights, you know, that lights the fire of the rebellion. That's probably not exactly the way it's said, but that's the idea. Um, Luke's not the hero of the story anymore. He's not going to be the protagonist anymore. 
he's going to be the catalyst for the next generation of heroes and the next generation protagonists. And that's what this new trilogy is all about. It's basically about bringing back the original heroes, but having, you know, having them pave the way for the new generation of heroes. And we may be seeing that a lot. We may be seeing that over and over again, because, you know, uh, Star Wars now can go on for, you know, pretty, pretty much indefinitely. Um, for better or worse, uh, hopefully more for better than than worse. But I think that's that's something that, like I said, I, I you don't see, and you you were saying it too, Mark. You don't see that very much in like a big blockbuster movie. Certainly not a blockbuster movie this big, and definitely not in a Star Wars movie. You don't see a message that blunt and that sort of subversive and that. Uh, unexpected and unpredictable uh, where it's saying, you know, don't rely on your heroes to save you, you know, do, you know, create your own path, you know, take the inspiration that your heroes give you and then run with it and and do your own thing with it. That's what this movie's kind of become, uh, you know, what what this movie becomes from beginning to end. Um, And even kind of, you know, his, his arc as, as dark as that was, it's sort of the, you know, the, you know, no pun intended, really, but like that's the dark side of that. He moves past his supposed, you know, mentor. You know, that's another expectation that got completely like you know kicked in the balls, which was you know Snoke is going to be the big bad of this movie and the big bad of this trilogy, and then he gets his ass served like you know in you know at within the first third of that scene. And it throws everything else off. So now, like, Kylo, I, you know, you think he's got a chance of being redeemed, but no, he becomes more evil, and he becomes even more, you know, of, of the antagonist. And I kind of dig it. I'm also not 100% sure that Snoke is dead, uh, but, you know, that could, you know, that's more fan speculation than anything else. But Maybe bifurcated, he still has feelings. I feel like <laughs> uh, I feel like that's something that I don't get. If I may actually contextualize that, there's a Simpsons Treehouse of Horror short where they parody the Golem, and oh, that. that that line comes from that where the Golem actually cuts Skinner in half of, at the waist like that, and <laughs> and uh, yeah, Willie comes up and is scooping up the pieces and goes, I, ah, you'll make better mulch than you were a man. And Skinner's head kind of leans up and goes, I may be bifurcated, but I still have feelings. <laughs> well, man, you, you, the floor, you asked... Rob. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> nah, okay, Robert, while you got the... Okay, Robert, while you got the floor, do you want to add anything? Because I, I kind of want to, for the time being, put a bow on um, Ray and and Luke and, and talk about uh, some of the other things that happen in this movie. I think I said, you know, a couple of years ago when we preview when we reviewed The Force Awakens that I really just wanted Kylo to actually be an evil bastard because he struck me as a whiny teenager, and I really did want to see. I wanted to see <laughs> him, you know, go on from that, and I wanted to see him. I didn't want another Vader storyline. I didn't want another. Oh, let's redeem the guy. I really just wanted him to be evil and then die, preferably painfully. But I'm weird like that. Well, well Kylo's arc, if, uh, to quickly summarize it, is basically him getting over that. 
It's at the beginning him realizing, like, there's no point in me trying to be the next Vader. I'm not Vader. And then him realizing, you know, I need to stop stop with all these father figures in my life. I need to stop, you know, worrying about Han, stop worrying about Luke, and i got to stop worrying about Stoke because he's kind of a jerk. So, you know, screw all these guys. I'm just going to do my own thing. I also kind of wonder, I, I kind of wonder because at the beginning of the movie, he holds back from, you know, pulling the trigger on the on the ship that he knows his mother is on and seemed to be like, you know, a point in the, in the column for, you know, he's going to be redeemed. But I wonder if the, you know, the Kylo of the end of that movie would have hesitated. Probably not. Probably not. Well, no. I yeah. say, let, let's talk, let's talk about that for just one second. I mean, it comes across early enough in the movie that it warrants a discussion now. And it's a nice transition point into the other stuff I want to get into. But I'll tell you, I, I think there's, there's the story of expectation versus um, plotting your own course in life. And, you know, he killed Han Solo. He killed his dad in The Force Awakens. In a flashback in The Last Jedi, we show him attempting to murder Luke by, you know, via avalanche. Um, that was more self-defense, think- to be fair. Uh, but, I, but either way you look at it, either way you look at it, you have a, you have somebody who keeps who keeps uh, looking to, towards somebody. And saying, look, I, I I killed this person. Have I not proven myself? I tried to kill this person. Have I not proven myself? And he keeps getting the answer back. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're dumb. You're fat. You're dumb. You're ugly. You should go eat worms. And to the point where he's just like, well, fuck it then. I, I'm just not going to try to impress anybody. I'm going to do what I want, and I don't want to kill my mother. That seems or maybe she just reached out with the force and said, go ahead, try. And he thought better of himself. <laughs> so I, I Also like another to, little I would, bit. Of... I would like to believe that he, ju- that he sat there for a moment and said, I don't have to do the thing that is expected of me. All I have to do is what I want to do. And to me, that is a villain. That is absolutely somebody, you know, saying like, oh, yeah. to hell with expectation, to hell with the rules, to hell with anything. I'm going to do what I want, and if I want to kill you, I will, and if I don't, I won't. And no one's going to tell me otherwise. Well, the, the greatest villains villain. are the okay. It's the greatest villains are the heroes of their own story. Oh, yeah. like, right. like you can start to see how he's, you know, like, he's doing terrible things. But you understand that there is a philosophy behind the terrible things that he is doing. He is trying to wipe the board clean because he thinks that's actually what's best for everything. It's also another you little know, he, bit of like meta. It's also another little bit of like meta, you know, symbolism towards the beginning, where it's another thing that was kind of almost held up as as something important in the first in in, the, in Force Awakens that got pretty much quickly done away with, and that's when he pretty much smashes the helmet and you never see it again for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's very <laughs> much like... It, yeah, it's very... <laughs> but it, it, it's presented as very much like, you know, this is... I don't need this anymore. Right. I am forging my own identity, my own path. I am not New Vader. I am Kylo Ren. And hear me roar. I've got this badass scar uh, now. Yeah. He's still New Vader. <laughs> Hey, man, he's the girl, all the bad. He's the guy, all the bad. Wait, no, he's the girl. He's the guy. Fuck it. You know, all give it up. Just give it up, Mark. You, you can't. <laughs> you you can't. Time. Time it. 
You know, you know, oh, any way you can finish or start that sentence is accurate to what was happening. <laughs> just to say it. It's the girl. I got it. It's the, it's the girl all the bad guys want. Oof. God, the song lyric. Anyway, moving on. Um, let's, let's just jump right into the, one of the other big criticisms of this movie. Uh, the Leia Mary Poppins scene. Now, oh, I hated that so much. There you I, go. I, I, that's, that's, how, that, that's how they could have fixed that scene. Just at the end, she just says, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Everybody laughs. <laughs> Nobody cares anymore. Oh, boy. Um, yes. I, go ahead. I don't, let me, let me, let's, let's lead into it. I think universally everyone liked the beginning of it. You know, Poe Dameron, sort of you know, this daring attack. Uh, Poe has probably the best, like, the, the, the best arc of this whole movie outside of Kylo Ren. Agreed. You know, where he... Yep. Where, where he's this danger seeker uh, who has to come to he's understand a loose that it's cannon, not always you about you. It's not always about you. dangerous. You know, it's about the, it's about right the checks your body joy. can't cash. <laughs> For goodness sake. Anyway, um, what that leads us to is the uh, First Order then attacking the Resistance, and they blow the, uh, the unceremoniously blow the bridge up which sucks Admiral Akbar out the window. People are very upset about that, by the way, that Admiral Akbar did not get a hero's death. But uh, Leo goes flying was, out the window. It was a trap. And it, wa- it wasn't <laughs> even a trap. <laughs> no, no, your expectations for Admiral Akbar. It was a trap. Uh, yeah, um, that's true. But to, to move this on, uh, she is, with the power of the Force, she protects herself, she stops herself from being frozen in, in space and she goes back to the ship and she spends the majority of the rest of the movie in a coma. Just really quickly, uh, we'll start with Ben, then David, then Rob. Uh, Mary Poppins, yay or nay? Alright, listen. This is where me and Robert are probably going to fist fight a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's alright. It yeah. has been... Like, it has been... First of all, yay... It was a little overwrought, but I don't have a problem with the the act of, you know, Leia saving herself from death by the force. If I'm 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 sometimes a little unclear on what exactly the what exactly about that part, what part of that people have uh, a problem with and it seems like everybody has a diff- has a problem with a different part of that scene, but if it's, you know, like some people are like, you know, when since when can the force do that? And anytime I hear somebody bitch about since when can the force do blank, <laughs> it has That's been awesome. well established in now, you know, in several in now when it, we're on eight, right? In eight Star Wars movies, the force can do whatever the hell the plot wants it to do. This is not a new thing, okay? It's not. <laughs> Let's not pretend yep. that this started with this scene. First of all, the other when thing can the is, you know, people jump that high. Which yeah. Yeah. when can you shoot lightning out of your, your fingers? Yeah, exactly. By the way, so, by the way, can I can I please say that I'm so excited we're getting angry Ben right now. It's been a while. <laughs> I missed it. Merry Christmas to me. Go ahead, angry Ben. <laughs> uh, I'm not angry. It's just. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But. The other thing, the other thing I'm, 
that I kind of hear a little bit was, you know, since when is Leia, you know, powerful enough to do any of this stuff, which to which I say, you know, how long has it been since Return of the Jedi? Like, nobody knows for sure. And it's always been implied that she's damn powerful with the Force. She just chooses not to use it overtly like Luke did or like Obi-Wan did or any of these chuckleheads did because she's smart enough to keep it and, and more con- controlled enough to keep it in check. But I never thought it was unbelievable that she had that kind of force power because it was always kind of heavily implied, even, you know, when it was first brought up. Uh, and it's just, this is, you know, for God's sake, you know, let her have a moment where she gets to do something cool with the goddamn force. Like, I don't begrudge the plot or Carrie Fisher that. Um, so no, I don't care. I don't. I didn't. I thought it was kind of cool, like that she was able to save herself, and it was a cool moment. And she she had no cool moments in Force Awakens. She was, ba- you know, she was barely in that movie. You know, she's she's no longer with us. Rest of soul, like you know, she's not gonna get a cool moment in Episode Nine. So for God's sake, let her get a cool moment in this movie. That was a cool moment, and people overthink the hell out of it, and I can't understand why. I have to, really quick, before we move over to David and then Rob, I have to share with you the reaction of my friend. So the explosion happened. She sucked out the window, and I'm thinking, huh. Like, I have no emotional reaction to that. My, my literal thought at that time was, Oh, I guess that's how they're handling her real life death. Cool. Okay, good. Um, and then we'll get. And I had known. And somebody had a reviewer had already commented about Laura Dern's character about how awesome she is because hashtag feminism. All right, cool. So we're gonna get Laura Dern in the Princess Leia role. Got it. Moving on. Like the fact that she comes back to life a few minutes later, I was like, well, I didn't see that coming because I expected them to re have recut the movie to reflect the fact that she's no longer with us. God rest her soul. Um, so imagine my surprise. When it happens, I was like, okay, waste of a cool death scene, but whatever, moving on. My friend's reaction, however, was basically, what the fuck, man? <laughs> he was so mad. <laughs> you know, like, he just, his hands went up in the air, very Italian-like, you know, he's just like, what's going on? And then, and then she does the force bit later, and you could almost breathe like a sigh of relief. You know, <laughs> she's like, oh, good, they didn't kill her. Like, yeah, but she's really dead. That's, that's the cold problem I'm having with this whole Carrie Fisher thing. Um, but I, I just thought it was funny because it's rare you get, you get to see somebody have like that visceral reaction. I was talking to Rob about uh, Coco. Um, you know, spoilers. You know, the, the, I loved my daughter's reaction to one of the scenes in the movie. And, and so that, that's more of my point is, when you have somebody have that real physical, visceral reaction to something in a movie, to me, it, it's very meaningful. David, Mary Poppins, yay or nay? Uh, yeah, I thought it was all right. I mean, I always imagine like seeing Leia use the Force, she would just be like sitting at her desk and her like pen falls off and she just like lifts it back up and keeps on working, like just that kind of. You know, cause let's be honest, like if all of us had the Force, that'd be ninety percent of what we do with it. Just you know, reach things across the room. But. Uh, <laughs> But like I thought, like, oh, okay, yeah, that's actually kind of neat because you know, like she's just pulling the ship towards her. Its mass is a lot bigger than hers, so she's gonna move towards it. And you know, like, yeah, like she's a space wizard, doing space wizard stuff. 
I mean, we could go in more in depth into the physics of like how fast you actually freeze in space and oxygen. But, nope. You know, again, it's really it, it, no it, physics. Yeah. If memory serves, it's like two minutes and forty three seconds. Before no death, like, that's not before like serious traumatic loss of blood vessels, free alternate and simultaneous freezing and burning depending on your proximity to the nearest star. Say yeah, it I with mean, me, children. There's no less time than that. physics in Star Wars. None. It's all Pretty magic. Much. But like, I mean, if there was like some sort of force she could use to kind of keep all that stuff you know, together, then you know maybe she would have a shot at it. But again, like I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, space wizards. Like, let's let's not overthink this too much. She's still alive. It was kind of a neat idea. Yeah, I feel like if it was any other character that did that, like any other character besides Leia that did that, there would be nearly as much bitching about it. No, no. Yeah. Well, I, I, would, I would she, complain she flies. exactly the same amount. My issue yeah, is I have like no play. problem with... <laughs> this has nothing to do with it being Leia and everything to do with the complete and utter disregard for the physical reality of being in the vacuum of space. Boo! Boo! But yeah, I was just like, she's, she's not flying through it. She's, she's just pulling herself towards the ship. Like, they show her hand even going and doing the, the pulling gesture, like, it's 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 not that hard, guys. It's yeah, I get. No, no, like, I get that. Like, no, she's not. Star Wars I get, physics. I agree. She's there not aren't flying. any. <laughs> like, I, I get that she's not I'm, flying. That again, she's pulling at something that she cannot physically move. There goes she moves towards it. Like that, I get. I have no problem with that. I, I, like, I I was more the openly bothered that they had like schematics of the flagship of the enemy fleet showing exactly <laughs> where the uh, tracking device was located. It's like, oh, we'll, get into my plot, we'll, we'll get into my plot convenience issues in just a minute, I'm sure. If I might get one thing off my chest that's been on my chest for a while here. Like, like my, my biggest problems with The Force Awakens was the scene where they launched the missiles from the, do- from the dorsal turret. It was like, you know, fire ventral cannons and they shoot missiles. I was like, that's a missile launcher, not a cannon. It's the ventral cannon. Get it right, people. That that's what that's just bugged me. Boo. Yeah, I mean, it's not important, but yeah, it's like no, no, what bits of your ship do? But anyway, uh, but thanks. Okay, yeah. Next. Oh, again, it, it was what is it your just problem? The lack of the lack of respect for the vacuum of space, the the sheer yeah. and utter disregard for the laws of physics as they would be at play under that circumstance. Boo. It is it is shocking, and <laughs> I mean, moreover, moreover, this is the other part about this that doesn't like that ship is not standing still. That ship is moving at a very high rate. There's no uh, the reason you don't think of objects in space as traveling all that fast is is a lack of perspective. You don't have a horizon to measure it against. You don't have anything because you know, again we. We do these things visually to see how fast something is going based on, again, a loose visual acuity. If there's nothing to compare it to, we tend not to think about how fast things are going in space, the velocities at play. If that ship is booking it when it gets, when the bridge gets blown up, her ass is in the dust. Like, it's, (laughs) she's not even in range to actually catch up to it, much less 
I suppose if I were to make a minor gripe about the force about the force power here, and bear in mind I'm well aware this is absolutely invalid. The amount of energy necessary to gain on a ship moving at that speed <clears throat> when it already has her, such a massive velocity advantage over you. But she is, would already have that velocity with her because she was moving in the ship when it was moving. So oh like, it would, her velocity would be... <laughs> yeah. Space I'm just saying like... I'm just going to keep yelling that out. <laughs> things yeah, don't I'm, slow I'm down in space. But yes, in the interest of keeping this under five hours, let's just uh, I, yeah move on and we, we can do a separate I'm podcast about space physics. Like if you feel no, like I'm, I'm I'm totally down for that. I'm with Mark on this. I've been I poured myself a Jack and Coke during this entire physics discussion. I do not blame <laughs> you one bit, sir. I do not blame again, you one bit. Okay. And again, let me. This is your object lesson to everyone out there. Star Wars is not science fiction. <sighs> Well said. Okay, I'm, let's talk about. Camp. Yeah, I'm, let, I'm, let's I, talk I, about I'm just going to pitch this right here, like you know, just uh, you and me. Let's do a show. It doesn't work that way. We can replace everybody. Loves a bad guy. Like you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm down. We 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 can do I that. Have, I have seriously contemplated a like a that doesn't work that way show. It, it has crossed my mind. Well, Make I volunteer as number host. One. I would Make love that. So number one. Tonight. Canto bite. <laughs> 30 minutes you mean waste of space? Canto. Okay, yeah. so am I the only person on Earth that thought the Canto bite scene was just fine? I mean, and yes. I made the Trumpy joke before, okay. but but let me. Okay, give me 50 words on explaining why I thought the Canto bite scene was fine, and in the greater context, why I actually thought it worked. Because I appear to be the only one who thinks this worked. I watched exactly. the Jedi Council review, half in the bag. I've read a bunch of reviews on this. And everyone's like, it was a giant waste of time. The whole like, point and the driving force of this movie, and again, this goes to the deconstruction of, of, the, of the hero's journey, is that nothing works out. They try yeah. so many different things throughout this movie, and it all fails. Which, we, know, we talk about like plot shield and, and all this other stuff. And for the first time in a movie, in a, in a big tentpole movie like this, where everyone's got a sufficient dose of plot shield, is you actually th- see things not working out for the heroes. Um, this is, and, and, it, and this does, um, as, as Doug Walker put it, this does sort of rhyme. It doesn't copy, but it does rhyme with The Empire Strikes Back. That what movie was filled with fail. On behalf of it's our like heroes, poetry. nothing worked out. Nothing worked out no. for for that group in that movie well, either. Most people hate it. This yeah. this took this took that idea to another level, I think, where they went off on this journey. They put so much time and effort into it, and you know, Ben brought up the the point that this movie is very meta, and I and I like that idea that here we're going to set up this whole like half hour, forty five minute side journey, so someone referred to it as the Legend of Zelda moment, where you have to go into like the <laughs> side, side quest, um, and it amounting to nothing. Well, you know what? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you go to college, and you get a degree in whoosie-whatsie, and you can't find a job in whoosie-whatsie. Things just don't work out sometimes, no matter how much effort and time you put into it. That's fucking life, people! And then that's why you, you wind up being paid to, to write reviews for NPR. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes you, you want to become 
a political <laughs> editorialist, <laughs> and you wind up having to do shitty movie reviews. Um, but that's and I then that's have to encourage like. everyone around you to beat you with a dead fish. So, <laughs> as a general idea, you know, where the narrative of the movie is sometimes shit don't work out. I liked that part of Cantabat. I didn't think it was a giant waste of time. It added to the overall story and narrative and themes of this movie, which, again, okay. I can okay. see why people then don't like it. Can now, I respond to that very briefly? Give me one more. Give me, give me ten more words here. Um, All right. I will count as, them. Good. As a, now, though, I thought the look of Cantabite was fantastic, and I get the... And you're done. I get... Nope. I get. <laughs> this is I counted. We're doing we're doing Jewish math. Ten is ten thousand. Um. Really quickly, the I other almost made a horrible I joke about, right there. I was so close. I'm sure you. This is only going to get longer the more you interrupt me. I'm going to add shit to talk about. Um. People are complaining that Canto Fight looked too familiar. You know, it looked like a real casino. It didn't look like space casino. It didn't look something fantastic and far out the way Star Wars is supposed to. And, you know, and people, um, people have drawn comparisons to the prequels, you know, like the 50s diner. Okay, not everything in a Star Wars movie has to look like the fucking bar scene from A New Hope, the cantina. Not everything has to be bizarre and otherworldly. Sometimes a casino just looks like a fucking casino. Um, it really ir- that that complaint irritates the shit out of me. Um, but the other thing about it is to be fair, is, like the cantina scene in A New Hope, that does look like just your average dive bar populated with crazier things. Pretty but people much. have reacted to it like it's the most bizarre thing they've ever seen in in the universe, in the history of film, and when it's not. But I, I digress. The point that I'm trying to get to here is that, other than the quest, I think being useful in the narrative. Um, and to give Finn something to do, and to give him an give him an opportunity to become closer to um, the uh, Rose's ca- uh, Rose character. Who cares um, about her? I like I like the fact that it was <laughs> I like the fact that it was a familiar surrounding because because it isn't the surrounding that was important so much as the message that was being conveyed, which you get from Benicio del Toro's character. Hey, you're you're throwing in with this resistance you do realize that there really is no such thing as good and bad. There's just shades of gray out there. Here's an example. This ship, the guy who owns it, he sold weapons to the First Order. You know who else he sold weapons to? He sold weapons to the Resistance. So you see, there's no point in throwing yourself in with any one side. It's all shit, really. It's a very nihilistic movie in that sense, and that's what I liked about it. But I can see why... Once you start throwing nihilism into your space fantasy with wizards, uh, people can become uncomfortable. Go ahead, Robert. I like that their harebrained scheme failed miserably. I loved that. Not just because I like watching people fail. Uh, I mean, look at my favorite sport. I like watching grown men get uh, grown men and women get beat to a bloody pulp. I'm I'm terrible that way. I liked that that tied in. There's my issue is not with the end result. I like the end result. I have issue with how they got there. Um, Amen. My biggest gripe mm-hmm. with this scene is just how stupid all the characters are through it. Like, okay, I'm going to park my shuttle on this public beach. You don't think that a well-organized society might take unkindly to you parking your spaceship wherever the hell you want? 
You, you go know, running around a car in his front lawn. You go running around a casino looking like crap and disrupting everything. Yeah, you're gonna get your you're gonna get thrown in jail. What you expect? Have you never actually been to a like? There's and then you know this is what killed me. This is literally what killed me about this whole scene. Bear in mind, not literal death, but if I had to pick one part of this that actually bothered me the most, it was the following. Rose complaining that, well, these people are rich because they've been selling weapons to, you know, the First Order. I I, I rolled so hard, my eyes might have fallen out of my head. Like, where do you think your equipment comes from? It is not donated by some charity. And thankfully, you don't go down to the Goodwill Military Division and, you know, pick <laughs> reload on your photon torpedoes. I got a rebuttal coming, but continue. And I, hey, again, I really... Their weapons from the nice weapons merchants. There you go. Uh, exactly. That's how life works, right? <laughs> uh. <laughs> but and, yeah, go on. So, again, I really liked that Benicio Del Toro actually pointed out that, no, you... Guys, that's not how this works. They sell the bolt. They sell because there is demand. And I mean, his line about you know it's a mach- you throw your you've thrown yourself into the machine. The only way to actually win is to not play. Like that. That's a from his perspective that makes the most sense. I also think it forces the characters and in somewhat by extension the viewer to actually examine what the the pertinent question about being involved in a conflict like this and it constantly gets not overlooked but underplayed in a lot of Star Wars movies is that if this if what you're fighting for isn't literally worth dying for you might not want to be engaged in it cuz that's what it's going to take and if you're not okay. willing to do that, then yeah, like his path makes the most, uh, the path of Benicio del Toro's character makes the most sense. Hey, ben, you wanted a rebuttal? Um, not not so much a rebuttal. In in some ways, like um, I think I think the the stance that you know that Robert was saying you you didn't care for that Rose had took about the weapons and about how, you know, these people came to be rich. I think that was kind of set up to be sort of torn down later on by Benicio del Toro's character very purposefully. And it's, you know, it's a naive kid who's in, you know, with this resistance who has very romanticized views about what it's all about. And that's kind of, you know, if you, you watch a lot of war movies and that's, that's actually a, fairly common trope which is that you know the young kid kind of is a, who has a romanticized idea about what they're you know what they're fighting for actually gets kind of smacked in the face by reality you know and is exposed to the reality of the situation so on that level it works I think that, that's and, fair let me say I don't think when I when that part of the movie rolled around I don't think I had quite cued into just how much they were going to poke at all of the you know accepted tropes if I had, I might have seen the later reveal coming and would have been more okay with it. But I, I don't think I had quite yeah. gotten into the groove of the film when she goes for that line. Because there's stuff that came after it that, I suppose, again, had it preceded that chronologically, might have bothered me just as much, if not more. But I kind of got a feel for the tone that they were going for by that point. 
but but it's it's like I keep saying, like this is actually a movie that I think a lot of people would benefit from watching more than once because you catch certain things that you will, you know you weren't expecting you weren't expecting to, for it to be necessary to pay attention to certain things. And now, you know, on a second viewing, you're looking for them and things make a lot more sense, I think, which is why, like, I really can't wait to see this movie again, because now knowing what I know about what's going to happen, now I know what to kind of focus on and it may be a different experience. Um, you know, your mileage may vary. Um, but my, my thing is, you know, and I said, you know, Benicio del Toro's character is probably my least favorite character in the movie. He has a couple of moments, but just his his very existence is probably the weakest point and the laziest point of writing and the laziest point of storytelling in this entire movie. Because it, if you, it, maybe I missed something. Maybe there is an explanation that I missed, but it seemed to me, and this was the only point in the movie where when it happened. I all like I almost audibly said like we're really doing this like we're really seriously doing this, and that is after you know Finn and Rose kind of strike out finding you know the the uh, code breaker that they're trying to find. They happen to get thrown in the, together in the same <laughs> cell as exactly the guy who can do what they need them to do. <laughs> and of course it's Benicio del Toro because you know why wouldn't it be? Uh, the only thing that could have made that more unbearable was if it was James Franco instead of Benicio del Toro. If it was Agreed. James Franco, I would have had. You know me. You know about me and James Franco. If it was James Franco, I would have made, had to have made a very difficult decision about whether or not to even watch this movie. <laughs> I have yeah, no. You plan. are the only. I have. You. You are the only human being whose hatred for James Franco like rivals my own. I have you know, no if, plans to see the disaster artist just yet, and believe me, that hurts because I really kind of want to see that movie. But just his existence in it and his involvement in it makes that very hard for me to commit to. Continue. If we're if we're gonna have James Franco in a Star Wars movie, he has to be playing uh, different versions of himself, like he did in the Deuce, and like he was supposed to do in Multiple Man, which I'm He's sure is gonna get canceled now. He's a Gungan. He's Jar Jar. Get out of here. Look, if we have to have James Franco in a movie, he has to be gagged. He has to be strung up as, an, as a prisoner to be interrogated by Kylo, who doesn't even let him talk and simply decapitates him. He Terrific. has to start David. out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, we don't want to get too Star far into murder okay. fantasies of living people. I know, I know, this is dark I, enough already. Coming soon to the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network, everyone hates James Franco, starring Robert Winfrey. Let's get on with this. Wait, uh, a thousand ways for James Franco to die. Okay, everyone, three, two, one. Okay, let's let's do this. All right, go. All right, so, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's like uh, I don't mind it looking like a casino. Like I just saw it and it's like, oh, Space Monaco. I know what this is about. You know, it's it's a casino for rich people. There we go. Less exposition needed. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. I think like they probably could have trimmed that section of the movie down a bit. But uh, yeah, like, overall, like I would say, Finn's arc in this movie is he starts off, and you know he's running away not just to save his own skin, but he sees the cause as hopeless, and he wants to find Ray because. She's his friend, and he cares about her. 
And through his experience with Rose, someone whose sister died in, in, in battle, who takes this stuff very seriously, he starts to see the bigger picture of what's going on and learning to care about you know, something bigger than him and his immediate interests. And you know, that culminates at the end with him basically trying to sacrifice himself to save everyone. But you know, he's got you know he wants to do another movie, so he didn't. So uh, so that's what I what I see happening there with Finn. Um, I like the addition of the idea of this sort of you know wealthy upper class kind of profiteering off of everything. You know, that's a neat little addition to the Star Wars universe. Uh, as for Benicio del Toro's character, I kind of saw him as like the deconstruction of Han, where you sort of have you know this you know you're not going to always get the smuggler with a heart of gold who will who will decide to join up with the cause of good. Whereas, yeah, yeah, he's just, he's, he's looking for money and he doesn't particularly care where it comes from. And, you know, like it's kind of at the end, you get his sort of point of view that, you know, I'm a criminal. I don't really care what color uniform the police are wearing. It's all the same to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know people are uncomfortable with the Benicio del Toro character, but I thought that that was a very, a very true kind of person you'll experience out in the world. And that's the thing. Yeah, and guys, uh, they will always. There is always someone who will rat you out. Always. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so like I thought. Well, okay. Can can I keep you going here for a bit there? Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was good. In fact, I kind of wish we'd get more time to be with this guy and learn a bit more about how he sees the things because I think he had a very good perspective worth elaborating on. Well, the only thing else I can say about the whole thing is, you know, like after they, you know, free the animals and they're kind of like, oh, you know, it's all worth it just for that. I'm just like, you guys know they're just like standing on the hill over there, right? These guys have spaceships, you know, like, so have them all rounded up by tomorrow and they'll be back in business, you know? Like, no, no, they they won't. They clearly will not round up their. I mean, if those things have any loose correlation to the value of, you know, good horse flesh in our world, things are expensive. Yeah, they're going to go get them back. Like. I mean, they're going to have a bad quarter. Like, they really tore up that place, but, you know, they will rebuild. <laughs> um, okay, I'm, okay, I'm good. <laughs> uh, we are down to the last 10 minutes of live time, and then there's an hour-ish of uh, recorded time we're allowed to have on blog talk. So I want to I wanna get to the last thing um, that I think is important to talk about, and then I'm going to throw – and then we'll do a little bit – of uh, Burning Desires, and then we'll get into the last two segments of the show. So let's talk about the end of the movie, then the end of the movie, then the end of the movie, because it ends like three times. We have uh, the throne room sequence with Rey and Kylo, and subsequently Snoke. We have the... uh, We have the bit where... um, the first order is is attacking the hidden base with the cannon, and then we have Finn's attempt at a sacrifice, and Rose kind of saving him at I guess at the end, and then Rook's uh, Rook, and then Luke's standoff with uh, Kylo Ren. We have Ray saving everybody at the back door through the use of the Force, and then like a dozen, you know what's left of the Resistance being having been decimated down to about a dozen people aboard the Millennium Falcon. And uh, really the most important aspect of, uh, of the movie to me, the thing that I want to talk about, but I want to address all these other things first, is this idea of not knowing where this is going next. 
you know, we know two things. The resistance has been boiled down to nothing. It's a handful of people. Um, and, the, you know, and the First Order pretty much has dominant control of the galaxy. There's no real cliffhanger, though. It just, you know, somebody, somebody had said, oh, this, this could have been the end of the trilogy. And then, yeah, that's kind of what it felt like. Um, as a side note, and I'm going to draw a circle around this because I'm going to come back to it, but just be thinking about it. They went into this with no plan. Like, J.J. Abrams was hired to dust off the Star Wars franchise, and that became The Force, Awa- the Force Awakens. And then they gave the movie over to Ryan Johnson and said, here, he teed up the ball, spike it. And Ryan Johnson then shot the ball. It fell to the ground, and there's no ball anymore. It's just a flat ball with a bullet in it. You know, and, Re- and, and Ryan Johnson's sort of interpretation of the Star Wars universe, uh, as we've been talking about. And now it's going back to J.J. Abrams, who has this deflated ball to deal with. But nobody approached... will find a way to lens flare off of it, I'm sure. They, 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 they went into this doing the anti-Marvel. They went into this almost doing the DC Universe thing of... We have you take no that plan, and we're, make, and we're making this up as we go along. Um, there's no... J.J. Abrams just pitched Episode Nine to Disney, and they went into this whole trilogy without a set plan of where they were going to land when it was all over. So just kind of have that in the back of your mind as you think about the ending of this movie. But um, I threw a couple of things out there. Let me really quick... Uh, just give you some give you some of my thoughts and then we'll we'll go through the round table again i'll start off with david ben and then rob um i really like the throne room stuff uh a lot of people had an issue with the uh cutesy killing of snoke people had a real issue with killing snoke to begin with because it, he set up as the emperor and then he sort of unceremoniously killed mid monologue uh again more deconstruction, more demystification, more twisting and turning where you don't expect it. Kylo Ren is really meant to be the big bad of this thing, obviously, not Snoke. That's a huge misdirection, which I'm fine with, but a lot of people are sort of choking on that, going, no, 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 why did you kill the Emperor only in the second movie? That's retarded. Um, And then did it in a cutesy way. I love the idea of... Kylo Ren saying to Rey, you don't have a place in this. Your parents were, your parents were junkers who sold you for drinking money. Um, you're a nobody. This is your chance to be somebody. Join me, and we can remake the, the galaxy however we want it. Uh, you can be an important person. And her holding on to, I guess, her principles and, say, and rejecting that out of, you know, out of hand. And the sort of symbolism of the whole thing, breaking the lightsaber in half through use of the Force. Um, Again, killing off the past. So a lot of people had real struggles with that entire sequence. I liked it. And, of course, the fighting in and of itself, you know, this is more Robert's thing than mine. Um, but I did enjoy the battle sequence with the, uh, with the guards. Um, the final end battle. You have these rickety speeders against the, you know, against the Adats and, and on the full might of the... Of the of the uh, first order, and you really and you have, just call it the empire, and you have Kylo Ren sort of you know stepping into this role, and he's messing it up. You know he's just screaming and yelling, and I thought there was a really funny bit 
with the with the one officer. It's like, right, oh, sir, and just let him let him you know, let him off. You know, he smacking he's smacking around Hux and all of that. Uh, I did enjoy when uh, they you know they were shooting at Luke and Hux goes, "Do you think you got him, man?" I really wanted that, Kylo's you know, response to be, "No, I don't." <laughs> Hit him again. <laughs> See, a lot of people struggled with the humor in that, and I and I thought, you know, you needed the humor to sort of break things up. So I dug it. Um, people have been struggling with Luke force projecting himself onto the planet. I thought it was a really witty way and an interesting way for, for Luke to go out and redeem himself. Because Luke is, Luke is, Luke's story in this movie is also a story of redemption. You know, one last heroic act. He saved what was left of the Resistance. Uh, by standing in front of this army and providing enough of a distraction while everyone else got away. Um, you know, and I also, I, I, I thought it was very telling of the Kylo Ren character that because he's so quick to give in to rage, he makes a lot of mistakes. So he didn't even notice that that was a force projection and not the real Luke Skywalker. Um, I thought Luke dying at the end was, was quaint. I thought it was adequate. Um, you know, especially just sort of disappearing into the, into the ether, into the force, as it were, uh, people hated it. They, they didn't want Luke to die, which I thought was dumb. I I thought it was a proper way for him to go out. Uh, and then lastly, I didn't have a problem with Ray moving rocks. Uh, People, people hate that too, for some odd reason. I don't know why. Um, I suppose if I thought about it long enough, I could figure it out, but yeah, they're just like, you know, she she has the line early on in the movie, like, the, what is the force to you? Uh, it's about getting people to do what you want and moving rocks. And she moves rocks at the end. Cool. <laughs> so I th- so I thought that That's what the screenwriters call foreshadowing. Exactly. Um, and, so I, and so to take it back to where I started with this, you know, this idea of things are, you know, at the end of Empire, things were bleak, but you didn't have necessarily a grand idea of what the rebellion even looked like at the end of the at the end of Empire, because it was a very small story about a handful of people. It was about Luke and it was about Han and, you know, what was going to happen to that core group of heroes. You didn't really have a clue as to what was going on at the rebellion because we we got away from the rebellion after the first act of the movie, after everyone got off a of hawk. In this one, you know exactly what's going on with the Resistance. They're decimated. They're down to a dozen people. That's it. They, they have one ship, and it's the Millennium Falcon. It's the junk from The Force Awakens. Um, so it, so to just my, my final point about that is I left the movie going, wow, that's a really, really brave choice. Because I, it doesn't look any... You could conceivably start the next movie with there is no more resistance. Everyone's kind of gone their separate ways, gone into hiding, that sort of thing. You know, there's a few people, there's a small, like, terrorist cell that exists, but they're not getting much accomplished. Um, You know, that sort of thing. Leia's dead, you know, Ray's gone her own way. You know, it's just, or Finn's gone his own way, something along those lines. One side note. The one thing I agree with people on, and I made a joke of it before, but uh, Rose ramming her speeder into Finn, much more effective if Finn actually blows himself up by taking out the cannon. Not so effective when Rose knocks him off course, nearly kills them both and says, what's going to win the day is love. That was the big eye roll moment of me. That was the one thing in this movie where I was like, all right, 
that that was a throw my pants at the screen moment, but forgivable in the face of all these other things. <laughs> I, I really um, do have to Dave. point out that the the rebellion in the first trilogy, the resistance in this one, they make a lot of really really bad tactical decisions. Like they're losing for a reason. Hmm. All right, Dave. I threw a lot out there. The throne room, the final ending, the final battle sequence. What are some of your thoughts, likes, dislikes, burning desires? Go. All right. Well, thanks for the summary. That kind of helps me get my thoughts back in order. Um, the overall, I actually really liked the th- whole throne room thing. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a great idea, you know, moving the lightsaber and then pushing the button using the force, because, like, why wouldn't you? It's like, honestly, I don't understand why these people still keep on, like, throwing these arounds with their hands. Like, come on, like, you have swords that will cut through anything, and you can move things with your mind, like. You know, why, why are we still doing hand-to-hand combat here? I would just, like, buy ten of them and just, like, throw them around. But <laughs> I, I digress. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, with the whole Snoke... Something like that. But, uh, like, with the whole Snoke thing, that kind of gets back to, you know, they didn't make the movie they never promised. Line is, you know, like, everyone was spending the last two years, you know, who is Snoke? Oh, you know, he's, you know, Darth Plagueis, or he's so-and-so character. He's one of the kids from the temple that Anakin failed to kill in the end, and he's he's the evil space wizard. That that that's who he is. He's an evil space wizard who's there to run the run the new empire. And I think we even forget that in the originals, like they only mention the emperor once in A New Hope. Uh, we get him. He space skypes Vader in one scene in Empire, and even in Jedi, like we don't, we don't, we we never even learn his name. Like they never call him, you know, Darth Sidious or Palpatine. He's just the emperor. So, so like this, it's whole construct of like, oh, you know, everything has to have a backstory and everything has to be interconnected is like, that wasn't really in the original to begin with. So, I mean, yeah, it would be interesting to know like where the first order came from, where Snoke came from and all of this. And Hey, you know, we'll probably fill that all in as time goes on. You know, like, you know, the Snoke story coming summer 2025. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you, you know, we'll you care about him enough by then. Yeah, possibly, but but yeah, like it's just he's there to be the bad Get guy. A Boba and... Fett sequel before that. God help us. Oh, all. we'll have three Boba Fets before that. Well, I'll tell you about my idea for a Boba Fett movie sometime. I think Mark's already read it. I think it's a good one. Tons of people will hate me. I'll probably get killed over it, but <laughs> just 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 let me give you a hint. Rowan Atkinson. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think my the world is not ready. Was him. I think my pitch for a Boba Fett movie was him crawling out of the pit of Sarlacc, going on an epic revenge tour, only to find that the the stomach of Sarlacc is actually a bit of a time dilation warp. So when they say it's a, it takes you a thousand years to digest, that's a thousand years outside of his stomach. So it, yep. The amount of time it took Boba Fett to actually climb back out of it, everyone he was going to take revenge on was dead. And then we end with an homage to the original Planet of the Apes, where he's just collapses uh, before a statue of, you know, Han and Luke and Leia after they were successful and just, no, you did it, didn't you? I I was thinking, well, he would just be an an incompetent boob that everyone thinks is so awesome because his helmet looks really cool. And, you know, in the end, he ends up getting, like, hit in the back by a pole and his, you know, backpack misfires and he goes crashing into a ship and is knocked out. But, you know, only in the 
No, no, that's just implausible. segue into the opening to the Mr. Bean television show from England, where they just the the light opens up on the street and he falls face first into the middle of the cobblestone. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, now you know what happened before that. It all makes sense yeah. now. I'm down. Yeah. I have anyway, so down. So, so yes, unpaid intern working at Disney. Gonna... There, there you go. There's, there's your answer, Johnny English, but with Boba Fett. Uh, so the Star Wars silly. fans will kill you for it, but I'm down. anyway, back, 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 back to the Last Jedi. Uh, so yeah, I like the whole uh, yeah Kylo Ren kind of realizing, you know, this guy's just kind of a jerk who's just trying to manipulate me to his own end. So screw him. I'll I'll just kill him and do my own thing. Um, to me, I kind of thought that that would have actually been the best part to kind of end the movie is just you know Ray and Kylo are at a standoff. No one can really outpower the other, so Ray just leaves to join up with the resistance again he takes over the first order and you know they go off to rebuild their forces and he you know takes over the first order and it's like oh what's going to happen now it it kind of got a little long in the tooth after that moment where we had like an entire battle of hoth scene that wasn't that's kind of one thing i have to i do have to critique these movies for is there wasn't really any iconic action scene you know, uh, you, you think back to you know, New Hope, you had the Death Star Trench run, and that was, you know, really cool. Empire Battle of Hoth, you had the, you know, the speeder bike chase in Jedi, even the pod race in Phantom Menace. You know, like, it's just kind of, you know, the First Order just kind of stands there. They have their big laser, they shoot it, Luke walks out, they shoot at him, Kylo Ren comes out. That's that's kind of it. That's That's the battle of whatever that planet's name was, so... So I think that's kind of like, there wasn't a sort of like wow moment in the movie, which might be why it kind of didn't blow me away at the time. But like the, the idea of Luke coming and force projecting himself, sure, they can do that now. And okay, that apparently kills him. You know, it was, it was fine, and I thought it was well done. It was kind of fun to watch him toy around with Kylo Ren. But... Uh, yeah, and yeah, like Ray lifting the four the rocks again, no problem. You know, she kind of knows what the force can do, and he kind of showed her how to how to sense it better. So, why not? Yeah, I did. I I liked his line too. Uh, right before that's all over, you know, see you around, kid. Just the, you one, mm-hmm. once again. You know, it's the that that allusion to giving yourself over to hate and anger and rage is never going to get you anywhere, and you'll you'll you're going to be made a fool of. Uh, go ahead, Ben. What are your, some of your thoughts? Um, I guess you mean basically the last half of the last uh, act of the movie, then, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I really, really dug the the uh, the throne room fight. Um, it's once again, it's not exactly the battle that everybody was expecting it to be uh where you know it's lightsaber against lightsaber it's actually something a little bit cooler which is like we talked about you know two years ago the 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 thing that was missing in the prequels was a sense of urgency and a sense of um of sort of stakes and, and a sense of emotional weight uh to the fight scene so you had like all of these different jedi and like this is supposed to be the most kick-ass thing you've ever seen it's just an army of jedi facing off against you know an army of sith and you know it turns out that they're they're facing off mostly against droids but whatever but the thing is you don't really know any of these characters you're not really invested in many of them so you don't really give a shit like what happens to them and 
that's solved here, I think, like, you know, you, you are totally invested and you know these characters and you, you've been through one and about two-thirds of a movie with these characters, with Ray and with, with uh, Kylo, and they're at their most emotionally vulnerable. And, you know, all hell's broken loose and Snoke's dead and nobody knows who's going to side with whom. And meanwhile, all these Imperial Guardsmen are, you know, squaring up on him. And it's on, and they're, you know, they're, and it's desperate, and it's raw, and there's, like, close-ups of, you know, these guys, you know, sort of struggling, and, and clearly, like, the, you know, the Imperial Guards, you know, are skilled fighters, and they're, and it's, it feels more, more raw and a little bit more visceral, and I, I appreciated that. It wasn't, you know, I don't know if it's, it's probably not the best fight scene in Star Wars history, but it's, it ranks as one of the better ones. Um, that was cool. Later on, you know, like, like I said, um, Luke at the end, uh, you know, facing off against, uh, Kylo Ren, which by the way, there were hints that that was a force projection that I didn't catch, which I'm really disappointed in myself that I didn't catch sooner because they make a a lightsaber. Well, there's that. Thanks, (laughs) Robert. Patently doesn't have that Ray stole. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Anyway. <laughs> there was also the more subtle... Him <laughs> uh, refusing to engage in physical contact with anyone as a no, general rule. No, actually, that's where I caught it. Like, where, you know, they didn't... They, like, the lightsaber never actually touched, and I'm like, yeah, that's probably not real, not actually him, like, in the flesh, but... There was also, they made a whole big thing about, like, the surface of the planet, and there was this, this thick-ass layer of salt underneath, you know, over the, like, the red soil, and everybody was leaving. Gotta give them credit. We have not the seen that before. They actually were able yeah, to open like, a new type of planet. You know, just, just yeah. a legitimate bravo clap to you, sir. Bravo. <laughs> we didn't have an ice yeah, planet, desert planet, jungle planet, or planet with floating rocks. Yeah, it was, it was salt with red salt underneath. Well done. There we go. There we go. Yep, sorry, yeah, go on. But, yeah. But yeah, everybody was leaving these red footprints in the in you know in in, in the dirt and uh if you look apparently like Luke left no footprints when he walked. So there were there were hints. And as you know, as you pointed out, some hints were a lot more glaring than others. Um <laughs> Give me Wow, that's, dude, give that's me Ben a, saying for, fuck you, Robert, without saying it. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, dude, give me a break because all I'm focusing on is oh shit, Luke Skywalker's about to fight again. Like that's where my mind is at during that scene. So, you know, that's you fair. know how it is. That's fair. I didn't even notice <laughs> that he didn't everyone. Pull, you know, leave footprints. Um I was just again, as soon as he pulled out the lightsaber, I knew something was up, but Yeah. But once again, they like, once again, they, you know, they sort of sidestep your expectations. Like, and, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the all out fight that I would have necessarily, I guess I could say that I would have written myself, but then again, that's why I'm not writing, you know, that's why I'm not a writer on any Star Wars movies, I guess, yet. Um, but, uh, as far as like Luke, you know, kind of exhausting the last of his force energy and his life force and whatever to do that. Like I said, this is a, this is, and I, you know, I'll keep saying it's a very sort of meta way of saying like, you know, this is the best that, that he's going to do. This is the, 
this is the best that you're going to get out of Luke Skywalker at this point in his life and at this point in the story. He exists now to to sustain the hope of the resistance, and he does that, and he does that. I thought pretty well. Um, you know, my, I saw this with one of my best friends, and he kind of like scoffed at you know the the way that Luke kind of went out, and he sort of Luke sort of like gracefully disappearing into you know into the becoming one with the Force, and which we've seen at least two other times in two other Star Wars movies. So once again, what do you what is everybody bitching about? Um, <laughs> this is I'm well sure there is a number of money. That they can pay Mark Hamill to get him to come back as a Force ghost. He's coming back as a Force ghost. I don't he's even doubt that. Back. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he's on IMDb for Episode Nine. Um, but even besides that, like, it's it, it once again it challenges what you think and and what you expect of you know, what was and, and, and still is. And I think it's a, it's a good progression of what Luke was in, in, in the original trilogy and what he became and what he still is. And he, he's still a hero. He's just a hero in a world that's very different. And I think his, his arc, his arc at the beginning of the movie, he's very clear. He's saying the Jedi need to end. I think at, by the end of that movie, through you know the cameo with Yoda and Yoda had, of course, you know, and thank God they brought back Frank Oz for this. And I think thank God they brought the back original, the puppet. They brought back yeah. the puppet. Yeah, if not if not the original it's puppet, not, then at least the yeah, episode I, I one that, puppet. Yeah, yeah, they had but, a puppet. But they they gave Yoda one of the best lines in the movie, which was, and I, yeah, uh, we are what our students grow beyond, which is beautiful. I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. That's so good. That's, I also um, love the look he gives Luke after he lightning strikes that temple, or he's just like, bitch, please, I'm still so much better than you. Which is something, yeah, which is something else that, you know, people apparently had, a, had you know, got their panties in a bunch about, which is, you know, since when can Forrest goes do that, which, to which I reiterate, the Forrest, the Forrest does whatever the plot needs it to do, like, okay. you know, can calm, I, calm down. Let me it. jump in with this real quick. This is where Robert and I often complain on Damn You Hollywood about, this is why we can't have nice things, and then you have people who really you can appreciate film and being challenged versus the vast majority of people who want a CGI blob to run around with a midget lightsaber. You know, I, I was, I was telling somebody about this, about um, the 15 minute shorts uh, clone uh, clone wars that used to be on cartoon network, not the 30 minute um, CGI series. But I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the Tartakovsky uh, animated one. Yeah, yeah. there's. I want to say it was Mace Windu who did this, where like he literally stands in front of a squadron of, of, uh, of whatever the enemy was in in the prequels. Battle droids. And he just, yeah, battle droids or whatever. And he just waves his hand, and they all they all just go flying this way and that. And okay, that's what Yoda should have been in the prequels, but you know George Lucas. Is it's so funny that people hate George Lucas uh, because he really is. He he thinks like a lot of the fans do, and that is, 
wouldn't it make more sense for the midget troll uh, force user to use the force to do crazy and wild things, not jab people with a fucking sword? And yet, that's what we got. Yoda is great, is, is a master force user because he's a gymnast with a sword and not because he can actually do you know, wild and crazy, unforeseen things with the force. And, and it took up to this movie to finally do away with that sort of thing, where Yoda's like, yeah, I, I can tap into vast country energy in the universe. I don't need well, the to point is, size matters around. not. Right. Hey, there you go. Go ahead. Thank you, ben. Lawrence Kazdan. I, I, I needed to say that. <laughs> I needed no, to put that fine. out there. And like, like I said, um, Luke actually goes through more, a more, a more significant arc than I think is he's, you know, than I think the movie is being given credit for. The thing mm-hmm. is, it's a very like sort of emotional maturity type of thing where it's like. At the beginning, you know, he's he's in grief. He's you know he's very much traumatized, like you said, and he's trying. He doesn't want any part of what's going on because he doesn't think he has anything left to contribute. And his stance at the beginning of the movie is uh, is the Jedi need to end. And by the end of the movie, I don't believe that he feels that way. The thing is. What it feels more like is not necessarily by the end of the movie. I don't. I, I think he feels like the Jedi don't necessarily need to end, but the Jedi definitely need to change. Well, and, he says, "I am not the last Jedi." Right. Like right, right and, before Kylo Ren kills him, quote unquote. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, and um, one thing that was pointed out to me that I didn't catch, which is really good, which, you know, in during the Yoda scene where Yoda's like, uh, where, you know, Ray has taken off already and Yoda tells tells Luke, he's like, there's there's nothing, and there, he's about to torch the tree and everything in it, and he says, there's nothing in that tree uh, that she does not already possess. Uh, what I didn't catch <laughs> well, was I didn't supposedly, catch supposedly she, she did took take all of the Jedi... <laughs> She yeah she she did take the Jedi books out so Yoda's fucking with them like the whole like yeah, actually they, they literally show them in the Millennium Falcon at the at the closing sequence that she still she actually just stole them <laughs> which is great though like, which is great first of all for the joke uh, but also for the fact that you know for everybody that you know is terrified that you know you know oh my childhood is gone you know the Jedi are no more. No, this isn't... It must be nice not, not to have any real problems, eh? The, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but for this story, and, and what this story is emphasizing, this is not the end of the Jedi. This is possibly the beginning of something even better. This is the, possibly the beginning of an even better understanding of what the Force is and what the Jedi can be. And now Rey is in possession of these things. That, and, and, and just like... You know, in in Return of the Jedi, when you know Yoda dies and and Luke is is the last one supposedly, and he says, "Pass on what you've learned," and now it's on it's on Ray to pass on what she's learned, and especially, I actually love like I'm with Mark. I love the whole thing of you know raising nobody and her parents are nobodies, and she's still that strong of you know with the Force and everything. That speaks Agreed. to you know. 
I'm a you know I'm a big Marvel Comics fan. We all know that, and and Marvel Comics is all about you know the average person can be can become a hero, and the average person can can become something greater, or and at the very least inspire others to become something greater. Yeah, if, if I might interrupt over. for a second here. Yeah, like I just yep. like all you Star Wars fans, nerds, all of us. Everyone listening out there, I'd, I'd like you to just take a minute, sit down. I'll, I'll just wait a second, sit down, sit down. Okay, everyone ready? You're sitting down. Okay. Not everything has to happen for a reason. Sometimes things just happen. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm good now. No, that's ben, great. Like I and yep. As I say, before you jump back in, you were alluding to something and. I, and it reminded me of a different Alec Guinness movie. I can't remember which what movie it is, but he plays like an he plays an Indian uh, in the movie, and the lead of the of the movie is talking to him, you know, with with the sense of urgency and earnest. And he's like, "We had to do this, that," you know, it's very very like hero plot type stuff. And Alec Guinness' character is like, "Okay, but I wish I remember what the line was, but it, it's something along the lines of which pattern do you like for the for the carpet, this or this.'" And the hero sort of stops and looks at him and goes, what do you mean? What pattern do I like? I, don't you understand the gravity of the situation before you? And he goes like, yeah, but the world will continue to turn regardless of what, of what you do and what I do. That is just the way of things. I want to say he was playing somebody who was like Buddhist uh, with the it's way that the, the dialogue Arabia, ran. Is it? it wasn't. It might, yeah, I was just thinking that. It wasn't Lawrence, was it Lawrence of Arabia? It might have been. That's what it sounds but like. It, but it's very much. But but uh, the Alec Guinness character says to him, and if it's with Lawrence of Arabia, it was Prince Faisal. Peter O'Toole. It was just like the world, the 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 um the world will continue to turn no matter what we do. But right now, I have a more pressing decision in front of me. Which pattern do you like? <laughs> and and that's, and and that's what that reminds me of. It's just it's to stop getting all wrapped up in this in this small minute picture. That's in front of you. Start looking at the bigger, you know, look at the bigger and that's picture why, of things. And that's, that's why, like, the more I think about this movie, and that's why I really wanted to do this and come on here and talk about this, is because it solidifies, like, my, my opinions and, and what I think. And the more I think about it, the more I really like the messages that this movie had. And, it's, and towards the end, like, like Robert was saying, you see the kids that um, – that are talking about, you know, the kids in the stables that are talking about, you know, the legend of Luke Skywalker. And now that's going to be carried on. And that's, and in a way that's sort of fulfilling what Yoda had told him to do, which is pass on what you've learned. It's just in a different way than you would have expected. And now you've got a whole generation of these kids that are going to, you know, grow up, you know, knowing about, you know, Luke's sacrifice and, and learning about the Force, and you got the little kid that, you know, has obviously got a little bit of Force power. And that's meant to be a hopeful note for the, for the movie and, and for the series to, 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 to continue on and to leave off on, which is that the Force goes on, the Jedi goes on, the Resistance goes on, they're weakened, but they're not gone. They're not dead. Even though Luke Skywalker is gone, he is not... He is not the Force. He is not the Jedi. And in you know, and in a meta way, he is not Star Wars. Not anymore, anyway. Maybe um, that's why it was the last scene of the movie. I could be wrong. Yeah. 
but that, but that's what I mean. That, and that's, and I really love that because it, it puts the idea of, and, and like, I, and I've said this to other people that I've talked to about this movie, this movie is not necessarily made for us in that we are like older people that grew up on the original trilogy. This is, this can be for us if, you know, we're willing to accept it, which I do. And I, you know, I hope, you know, some of you guys do too, but this is also for the next generation that's coming up to show, you know, to show, you know, the Jedi lives on and now, you know, anybody can, anybody, who is in tune with the forest has a chance to be, you know, to be part of this. And it's it, that in, in that it's meant to be hopeful. And I, I really love that. And I, and you know, once again, Abrams is getting the franchise back in episode nine. I don't know what he does with it after he this. Walks. I don't know if he picks up and I don't know if he <laughs> picks up where, you know, where Ryan Johnson leaves off. Um, Supposedly, Abrams was actually a big fan of whatever you know the script that that Brian Johnson made for this movie. So I'm hoping, you know, he 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 doesn't retcon everything and he doesn't retcon too much because there's there's more to this this movie than I think people got from the you know their knee jerk reactions. And I hope that it that uh, more people realize it as as time goes on. I hope it it finds its audience and I hope that people really like come to realize what was trying to be said in this movie is, is what I, you know, I, let, I really me, hope uh, hazard, this... let me hazard a guess as to what the James, uh, what the JJ Abrams movie is going to be. Uh, somebody will be flying the millennium Falcon while listening to the beastie boys. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I hate you so much for putting that out there. <laughs> Uh, he's taking notes um, on what I just said. All right. Yeah, uh, I, podcast. Yeah. Um, very well put, uh, Ben. I, you know, I, I think, I think that one of the great things you said was like this may not have been for longtime Star Wars fans. This was this was Ryan Johnson's vision of what a Star Wars movie could be. Um, and that probably sums up the, the split on this. You have people willing to accept uh, being offered something different, and then you have people who are like, no, write me my... I and mean, we said this earlier, but it, it bears repeating. No, write me my Star Wars movie. The, write, write me the fanfic I have envisioned in my head. Make that. Um, Robert, why don't you uh, do your uh, thoughts on the last act of the movie, basically, and then... Um, We'll do a. We got to do like fifty words or less, burning desires, uh, before we start to wrap things up. I kind of, I was okay with most of it. I get the that you know maybe uh, the, you know the complaints that it you know ended and ended and ended and ended. It wasn't quite Return of the King, but I can see the comparisons. <laughs> um. I mean, look, personally, because I love a good cliffhanger and just annoying people, I would have cut during that, uh, I would have cut right in that scene when Luke kind of steps into the wreckage of the doorway and you get him silhouetted staring out at the Empire, you know, in the Empire's army. That's probably where I would have cut it, just because I am that guy. I was so worried that that was where they were going to end it, too, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to wait two more years to see how this plays out. (laughs) Um, 
I was less than thrilled with the major- with uh, the fight scene in the throne room. Uh, it it wasn't the worst. I mean, look, I got uh, my I have a brother who would fight me over this in all likelihood. I maintain the worst. The two worst lightsaber duels in Star Wars history are Yoda versus Christopher Lee, and the last one between Anakin and Obi Wan from uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith. What you didn't like that three second stretch where they're standing a foot away from each other, swinging their lightsabers and not hitting anything? About That's as much as I like. About as much as oh, I like the guy with as. As much as I liked the dwarf sticking his arms out of a barrel and just spinning around in a 360-degree rotation and somehow completely decapitating and delimbing a dozen orcs around him. Yeah, I was okay with that. Oh, yeah, you've seen what a food processor can do. Of, of course you were, Mark. <laughs> I mean, look, the two, in no particular order, like the two best lightsaber duels in Star Wars, in my opinion, uh, from a narrative and storytelling standpoint, Luke versus Vader from Empire Strikes Back is a great example of how to get across again emotion via just physical action rather than dialogue. And I've got a real soft spot for the three for the one from Phantom Menace because I think it's the best choreographed. Yeah, it has the best choreographed to actual stuff happening ratio of any of the fights. It also has the best music set to it um, from all the lights. Yeah, it does. Yeah, no, no argument there. Um, but I know John Williams is in the zone that for that movie. I've, I'll never complain about that. Yeah, Duel of the Fates is just awesome. Uh, yeah, there's... say it about any Star Wars movie. John Williams is above it all. That's true. Uh, there's. That, that being said, again, it, I was a little bit underwhelmed, but there was some interesting stuff to it. I, this is going to sound weird. I think that fight scene needed blood. Now, and, and I don't think a lot of Star Wars needs actual blood, but given the, given what they were trying to get across and the style with which they were fighting, you know, the two against many, the more skillful but more, you know, everything was a lot fat, a lot quicker because you know, again, like a real fight, like to the death fight, they end fast, because that's all the time it takes for somebody to screw up. It almost felt like you needed that to help further get across the, kind of the rawness of that whole sequence, but uh, maybe that's just me. Well, everyone stay tuned for uh, when I and Robert discuss uh, lightsabers, cauterization, and how it relates to actual real-world sword fighting on an episode of It Doesn't Work That Way. Uh, again, th- that's just an a- that's more Make an aesthetic so. choice than I understand why lightsabers don't usually actually don't usually draw blood. If yeah. they're different that podcast, hot, yeah, there's... different podcast. All right, uh, but, um, Ben. Uh, oh, sorry. Go hang ahead. on, hang on. Last thing I wanted to say, uh, I was fine with the ending. I was fine. Uh, I got a again, Luke trolling Kylo like that was glorious. When you actually think about when you think about it in those terms, like just it, it was a glorious bit of playing around with, and the fact that he, again, speaking of subversion and, you know, slaying the old sacred cow, right before the blow that if they'd been physically there would have killed Luke, he gives a variation on, if you strike me now, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I got 50 words or less, Ben. Um I hit the points that I thought were important, but a lot of, I left a lot on the table. 
anything, any burning desires that uh, you wish to discuss, for, uh, say it now or forever hold your peace. Um, like I said, I think this was the, this, I hope, will be looked at as kind of the turning point in the franchise where it opened up a bunch of new possibilities and said, you know, this is what, this is what has come before and this is what can, what it can be. And this is what we hope it will be. Um, now it, there's a bunch of possibilities. The force is bigger. Like I said, bigger than the Skywalker family. It's bigger than the Jedi. It's bigger than the Sith. It's bigger than possibly human beings themselves. Uh, hopefully that's out of the bag and I don't have any desire to see it go back in. I want to see it explored, if anything. Um, and I, you know, uh, another friend of mine that I quoted in, you know, two years ago during Force Awakens, an artist by the name of Jamal Eigle, he said, um, he said on Twitter, this movie did something that I never thought a Star Wars movie could do for me ever again, and that is surprise me. Uh, and I feel a lot the same way. Um, this movie had a lot of surprises. Some of them were harsh and some of them were not necessarily pleasant. Um, and some of them were, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, like a couple of days later, I'm still kind of twirling, you know, uh, you know, twirling this movie around and, and, and a lot of the ideas of this movie presented in my head, I'm still like working it out and I'm still thinking about it. And it it's a thought-provoking movie if you're willing to, to, to let it be that. Uh, I really appreciate that. And it was not, like, like I said, it was not something I was expecting from, you know, from Star Wars, particularly after, you know, Force Awakens, which was crowd-pleasing, but not necessarily challenging thematically. Um, this was, and, and I appreciate that too. And I'm, I'm, I don't know where it's going after this, and I hope it's going somewhere you know, just as interesting and just as thought provoking. You know, I'm I'm still I'm still in for the long haul for this, and uh, I hope a lot of people are too, despite the uh, division in fandom. Ben, um, I'm going to repeat something that I said to Robert earlier. I may have actually said it. I'm say it said it here, but if I didn't, then it's new to everybody else. But I want you specifically to respond to it because you keep saying, you know, I don't know where they're going, but it seems like they're going someplace interesting. Let me let me preface this with they hired J.J. Abrams to direct the next one, and this one has yeah. caused polarization between the fans. So let me tell you what my reaction was when the when this was over. Um, I got up and I said, "Dear Lucasfilm and Disney," I said this like right in the middle of the theater. "Dear Lucasfilm and Disney, don't make another Star Wars movie. It's not getting any better than this." And you know, we're, we're two and a half hours into this podcast and we're several days removed from the premiere. And after everything I've read, I, I think Disney's interpretation of what I just said is, we're not making this movie anymore. We're not making any movies that challenge anybody anymore. We've brought J.J. Abrams in to make sure the, the next movie is called Star Wars, The Fan Service. <laughs> your, your thoughts, sir? Well, um, Abrams was coming back whether, you know, with or without this, you know, this movie being what it was because uh, Colin Trevorrow was supposed to direct uh, the, the episode nine. Uh, Colin Trevorrow directed uh, Jurassic World. Um, 
he had a falling oh, out with Disney God, and with uh, Lucasfilm. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he he had a falling out, but he had a falling out with Lucasfilm and and Disney. The old creative differences, which could mean any of a million different things. Uh, it's similar with you know the the directors that got uh, you know that got let go from the Han Solo prequel. This is. This is not a new thing when it comes to Disney. You have creative differences with Disney, and they'll either, you know, you'll either prevail or you'll be gone. And you can ask Edgar Wright how that worked out for him. Um, but uh, uh, Abrams was already announced as having come back. And, and I think, you know, Abrams had, had said even during the whole press tour for Episode 7 for, you know, for Force Awakens that, uh, after having seen what Ryan Johnson was doing with 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 Last Jedi, that he kind of regretted passing on doing Episode Eight. Um, so he was coming back to you know he was coming back one way or the other. Um, I like I said I certainly hope that he's enough of a fan of what Last Jedi was to expand on what what has already been done instead of outright, you know, retconning everything and, you know, just going the fan service route because they have an opportunity really to build this into something that, frankly, you know, we haven't seen before. Uh, whether that jives with what Disney wants as far as, you know, a marketable intellectual property remains to be seen. And, you know, if you ask me, it's probably, if, if we're lucky, it'll be somewhere in between. Um, one thing I will say, like the the joke about that is, is that uh, you know everybody complained about like Ryan Johnson not answering any of you know the plot threads that J.J. Abrams had brought up in in Force Awakens, and the response to that was, it's J.J. Abrams. Do you think even if he had continued with with Last Jedi, if he, even if he had directed that, do you? honestly think knowing what you know about J.J. Abrams that he would have wrapped up his own plot threads? Like, seriously? I've suffered through his Star Trek reboot. Believe me, he doesn't touch previous plot threads. Yeah, so... Well, I, you know, I I like uh, you know I like the there's the there's Star let, Trek me, let me say there's positives and negatives to his Star Trek reboot, but narrative I like the first is <laughs> may I I like uh, the first I, I like the first one I didn't like I didn't like uh, I didn't like another Ethan podcast Darkness. another seen, podcast yeah. yeah okay 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 may I add to this one discussion vis a vis J J Abrams that I can't stand it I know you planned it I'm gonna set it straight this Watergate. You're Mark, just not gonna rest until you hear. You're, you're not gonna rest until you hear sabotage on a Star Wars movie, are you? Nope. <laughs> Heed my words, Disney. That's what this series needs: the Millennium Falcon and sabotage. Yeah, oh, because you know that whole sequence in Star Trekking beyond whatever. Because you know they're trekking beyond. <laughs> we don't know what they were trekking beyond, but boy, did they go beyond that whole scene where he, you know. Direct- destroys an entire attacking army of ships with the music of the Beastie Boys wasn't just the dirt dumbest thing in that entire movie full of relatively stupid things. Justin Lin for that. That was that, you can't blame Abrams entirely for that one. That was Justin Lin made that movie. Abrams right, um, Abrams Beastie Boys in everything he does. Abrams cast David. the check, man. 
David. That's also true. <laughs> yes, Mark? Burning desires, sir. <laughs> okay, what is this, uh, final thoughts here? Or? Yeah. Burning, yeah, just oh, okay. basically anything that I didn't touch on that you felt we needed to touch on. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to think of something that we didn't touch on there. Um, I guess just I would say, say in we... closing... Yeah, I'd say in closing that uh, you know it's it's a movie that with great ambitions and good ideas, with uh, somewhat shaky execution at times, but you know I'm kind of glad that they at least tried to do something different with it. And you know at the start of this podcast I said you know after getting out of the theater I wouldn't really watch it again. And after talking about this all with you guys, I'm kind of looking forward to getting a chance to see it again and thinking about some of the stuff we talked about. And uh, other than that. Uh, yeah, just think Disney's probably going to make a billion dollars on pork plushy sales alone. Half will be sold <laughs> in Japan. Can I tell you? Can yep. I tell you? My friend and I brought his kid to. Um, he has a seven-year-old uh, daughter, and then he has a four-year-old son. And the daughter made sure to buy the four-year-old a porg for Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yes, everybody wins. Sales. Everybody wins. All right, um, you guys are welcome to stay. We're going to do an abbreviated money and then a, an abbreviated Rotten Tomatoes bit. You guys are welcome to stay for it or uh, bail out. But uh, here we go. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. All right, $200 million budget. It is currently made, uh, as of today, this being Tuesday, $494 million. Um, So, you know, in one weekend, it has made more than the total for War for the Planet of the Apes, The Mummy, Kingsman, Cars, Fifty Shades Darker, and Triple X Return of Xander Cage. Just as an aside, Justice League looks to be petering out at a... At about six hundred and seventy-five million, it's currently at six hundred and thirty-six. Projections are, like I said, it'll die at about six hundred and seventy-five. And everybody at Warner Brothers and DC Films is going to throw themselves out a fucking window because that movie How could was you supposed possibly to make a billion dollars. Think, think about this for just a minute. They mismanaged mm-hmm. that property and that film in particular so badly. Six hundred million dollars is not actually all that profitable for them. Think about no, the level make, of systemic incompetence to, that takes. It needed to make It needed to make seven hundred million dollars, and it didn't even make that. It, it's hey, what a what a weird place Warner Brothers. And the, the thing of it is, is Warner Brothers, I think, is still the number one studio of twenty eighteen, just in sheer volume. Yeah, let me uh, double check that. But um, I mean. Yeah, with what you know, with Wonder Woman leading the pack at 821 million, I think it was like the first to the first this year to get to two billion dollars and all of that. And I think it has the highest market share. Um, I'm double checking that. Okay, no, uh, right now, yeah, it's it just got beat by Disney with uh, the Force Awakens um, and Thor. Help Thor's, I think it's somewhere in the 800 millions too. But Ugh, Warner Brothers released like 19 movies. In 2017, it released 19 movies, and it has 19.6% share of the market versus Disney with eight movies and 20%, which tells you two things. One, 
Warner Brothers strategy of releasing a zillion pictures probably works for them. Just that some of their zillion pictures did not make as much money as they should have versus Disney, who is carefully putting out very few pictures, but almost all of them make money. Almost all of them. It's incredible. And then then Universal is in the third place with 14.2 and Fox no longer matters. It's amazing Fox what happens now with is just your business model. Yeah, Fox yeah, is now. Go ahead. Yeah, I was saying it's amazing what happens when competence is your business model. <laughs> um, obviously, I mean the the force. Uh, the last Jedi won the weekend. Duh. Um, yeah. The Other weekend news, broke water down. Is wet, the sky is blue, and money can be exchanged <laughs> for goods and services. Indeed. Uh, came in at number one. Ferdinand came in at number two with uh, 13 million, which was delightful, by the way. Uh, kids enjoyed it. Took him to go see it with my friend's kid. Everyone, you know, my my, fr- my son, my three and a half year old son, much preferred Ferdinand to Coco. Um, and I know that because he actually sat still for this movie as as opposed to Coco, where he was crawling underneath the seats for no good reason. In any case, um, Ferdinand came in at number two. Coco fell from one to three. Wonder three to four, Justice League two to five, Daddy's Home stayed at number six for the second week in a row. Thor, who, like I said, is currently the um, I think sixth or seventh movie of the year, and it's just and it just beat out Wonder Woman. Again, poor Warner Brothers. Um, went fell from five to seven. The Disaster Artist, featuring everyone's favorite actor, especially Roberts, James Franco, uh, fell from four to eight. Murder on the Orient Express from 7 to 9, and finally Lady Boyd, uh, which is like the highest rated Rotten, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes movie of the year, went from uh, 9 to 10. So that is an abbreviated money. Robert, any uh, thoughts, qu- uh, quips, or issues you want to take with the money? Um, I kind of hate that Thor Ragnarok has done so well because you're just reinforcing the stupid, stupid, stupid uh, methodology for making those movies. I guarantee you, Thanos is going to have a bunch of jokes, and you all asked yeah. for it. I well, he, um, let me say two things really quick. I'm now very afraid for what the Infinity War is going to be because it's one of two things is going to happen. It's going to be a darker Marvel, Marvel picture than we're used to, and people are going to take out their cock and piss all over the screen because how dare anything be dark? You know, again. Revisit the last two and a half hours of our discussion here, or it's a Russo it's Brothers be, movie, or it's going to be Jokey McJokefest, and you know, and it's be like, well, we don't want to annoy people, so you know, it'll be more of what we've gotten from Marvel, which I've liked the, the Marvel films. Don't get me wrong, but I'm afraid they're going to go with the wrong tone for this. Um, I trust I trust the Russo Brothers. That's fair. God, I hope they haven't, like that. They haven't screwed up yet. Well, one should not laugh at rebalancing the universe, but I, I got to admit, this puts a smile on my face. Look, I laugh at him because he looks like Tito Ortiz de- bathed in grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> he needs the helmet. Oh, he definitely you, needs the helmet. I, Robert, you bastard. I am not ever going to be able to unsee that now. Okay, I, I okay, can do the Infinity Donut gag, right? Everyone has seen this yes. one too. No. 
Oh, you didn't see this? No, like, as soon as that trailer came out, someone photoshopped Thanos to just be yellow with his, you know, chin thing oh, and brown. Wait. I might have seen that. Hold on. Like, yeah, he looks yeah, just I might like Homer, that. and he's holding the mm, Infinity Donut. Oh, man. There, well, right, there, there's your gonna... Treehouse of Horror for next year. But, no, I, right, so I've got two to... things with Thanos that have just, like, already killed me, already killed him for me just visually, and, again... Tito Ortiz, you know, taking a bath in. <laughs> oh God! Just above it. Somebody photoshopped oh, Tito's face onto him, and I couldn't unsee it. And it's like, that's it. It's like, <laughs> oh my God! If I, if that runs through my head when I'm seeing Infinity War next year, I'm coming back and I'm gonna have words with you, man. Look, he's gonna he's gonna wind <laughs> up retreating after the first one with only half the Infinity Stones, and he's gonna complain about a skull fracture. <laughs> He'd love to see any of you guys step in there with a broken back and put forth half as much effort into rebalancing the universe. All right, everyone, take a drink. We're talking MMA. Um, all right, somebody, uh, the, come on. The there is an endless I, ga- There is there is no limit to the amount of gags we can have about this now. Well, I was gonna say, and then we got to move on. This kid that does the "I'm a Marvel, I'm a DC" YouTube videos referred to him as a California raisin, which I thought was funny. <laughs> I um, saw that too. All right, Robert, are you ready? Uh, Bring just it before on. We hit the no, button there, God! Uh, oh. No, God, please, no, 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 no! Okay, before we, we continue, there just if I. If I could just jump in here. Uh, Yeah, just one, I really wish I'd saved that pork joke for when we did the money. And two, on that note, uh, yeah, I pretty much have to be heading out here now. So uh, it's been great, everyone. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, Thank you, sir. Anything you want to plug? Thanks for coming on, Dave. Uh, Plugs, uh, well, I'll start off by plugging my friend and yours, Mr. Andrew Graham. You know, great guy. Kind of surprised he wasn't on the podcast tonight. So shout out to him. And uh, I would plug, uh, you know, well, we all know Red Letter Media, um, other favorite movie critics, uh, Movie Bob, Bob Chipman. Uh, he's done some interesting podcasts and videos on sort of why he thinks The Last Jedi is pretty good. And, you know, love him or hate him, agree or disagree. I think he's got an interesting perspective on things worth checking out. And uh, I think I'll leave it there for now. All right. Thank okay, you. So uh, thank you for coming on. Yeah, David. Thank you all M- for- much. Appreciated. Yes, yes. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hopefully this is not the last time. And uh, well, you're welcome yeah, back anytime. Oh, thank you. Oh, looking forward to it. So uh, have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and whatever else you're celebrating. And uh, talk to you later. All right. Bye, Dave. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to read a few of these. Yep. Let's do this. All right. Uh, Ivan Belmont of Connexion. The Last Jedi is a sample of what Disney intends to do with this franchise, turning it into a product full of cliches, empty plots, forgettable villains, and one-dimensional characters. You're, you have to keep these short, Robert. Look, Benjamin, you mentioned that 2017 was the year satire had gone to die. Yep. I sure this did. Guy. And, this and guy. This guy. I stick by that. <laughs> <clears throat> if uh, you don't understand the fundamental difference between a deconstruction of a cliche and an actual cliche, what are you doing being paid to review film? Or anything creative for that matter. I'm not entirely sure you're qualified to even observe a local middle school production of Twelfth Night as a bridge as that would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our favorites on this bit, Roger Moore of Movie Nation. 
Not that oh, Roger Moore. Guy. This Roger Moore. This guy. Rest in peace, Roger Moore. No, no romance, little pathos, and lacks a single heartfelt punch-in-the-gut moment. Really? Hold on. Hmm. Okay, look. No path, like, really, no pathos. You're, you're completely devoid. Like, just because you're a robot, like George Lucas, doesn't mean, like, quit projecting that. The lack of romance. Where is it written? Someone show me where God inscribed on the Ten Commandments every film or play or novel must have a love interest. Because I haven't seen it. It's utterly unnecessary to the story. Utterly unnecessary. It would have dragged it down even more. You, you moron. Uh, no emotional gut Toto. punch. No, no, no. Luke Skywalker quietly fading away after buying time for everyone else. To, no, there's, there's no emotion there. One of the android. greatest heroes in film of the past 40 years. Freaking android. Uh, Christian, <laughs> Christian Toto uh, of... Hollywood in in Toto. It soars, it sinks, shrewdly building on franchise lore while scoring cheap shots against capitalism. Frustrating it is. Hmm? Oh, shut up. (laughs) Oh, look, there's a shot at... No, there isn't. This is an anti... No. It's not a shot at capitalism. It's an expression of the nature of conflict. There is... Always middle side profiteering in conflict, big or small. If your mom is fighting with your dad, I guarantee you you've got a sibling playing them both off each other. Does not matter how big or small scale the conflict is. There is profiteering off of it. That is not a capitalist thing. Every socialist country in the world has the same problem. And if your complaint is that human beings suck... Well, that's an old one, buddy. Try phrasing it better. Uh, Fred Topol of We Live Entertainment. Every moment where The Last Jedi almost takes a bold risk for the series, it undermines itself to maintain the status quo. Oh, no, it doesn't. This is just fundamentally untrue. If this maintained the status quo, it goes so much differently. Their harebrained scheme actually works. Uh, Luke shows up and, you know, maybe the outcome for him is the same, but he goes out in combat. Uh, Snoke is still kind of pulling the strings. Like, no. Like, what, what do you think, sir, would constitute a bold new direction that upends the status quo for this franchise? I would love to hear an actual example out of you. As far as that goes, like, what do, you, what, what do you want? All right, last one for the night. Luke Buckmaster of the Daily Review slash Crikey. It's easy to forget the original movie was a ter- ter- terrifically bold, innovative, industry-realigning blockbuster. Lucas dreamed big and took massive risks. In that sense, The Last Jedi could not be more different to the Star Wars created four decades ago. Okay. You morons. Okay, let me start with this. I maintain this. A New Hope is not that good a movie. It's a deeply important movie. It it revi- it changed it fundamentally altered the direction American cinema was taking from a cynical and depressed one into a more upbeat and uplifting one. It is deeply relevant culturally. 
Like, it has become something great. It is also full of mediocre writing, wooden acting, and, you know, plot holes. Like, it's not actually that... If that thing were released today, no one would like it. I shouldn't say no one, but it would not be... It wouldn't have nearly the same impact, because it was a product of its time, for both good and for ill. This one, again, it upends every bit of perceived trope that goes into the franchise, but for some reason, like, this goes over everyone's head. I I don't understand these people. Like, how do you not fundamentally grasp the, what is being done here from a, from a mechanical standpoint, the mechanics of narrative and storytelling and symbolism? How do you not understand what is going on? I mean, look, The Force Awakens is deserving of that last bit of criticism. That is as safe as safe can be, to its detriment in a couple of cases. This is not safe by any reasonable stretch of the imagination. I mean, short of actually killing off everyone in the main cast and doing something radical like that, it's like, no, do you not understand how this works? This is another guy who clearly, like, failed was a failed writer of some variety and is now, like, desperately trying to hang on to a paycheck. (laughs) All right, folks, Uh, that's the end. We are rapidly running out of time. Like, we have four minutes, I think, before this thing's going to go dead on me. So, uh, Ben, real quick, do your plugs. Okay, uh, this won't take long. I haven't been doing a whole hell of a lot this year, this last half of the year. Um, as always, as ever, I write, uh, draw, self-publish a comic called Soul Exodus. Uh, you can find more info on uh, my website, soulexo.com, uh, facebook.com slash soulexo, or on Twitter at soulexocomic. I do a thing called Sketchbook Saturday there as well, where I draw Every Saturday, at least one sketch in my sketchbook. I've done some pretty cool ones lately. I got to meet Rugger Hauer and give him a, ske- a print of the sketch that I made of him as War Daddy and Blade Runner. Uh, that was that pretty thing awesome. was beautiful, man. That was a really Thanks. that was that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, he he seemed to like it too, but he was also like you know half awake because it was Sunday morning at like 11 a.m. Um, later on that day in the same convention, he he also rode a bike through the convention hall and almost ran me over, which is, you know, at least now I got a cool Rigger Howard story. <laughs> I shit you not. He almost ran me over with a bike. Uh, that would be, yeah. be a good um, way to go out. You know, run, that's die a cool being sto- run over by that's, Rutger Howard. That's, a, that's at least a cool story. Um, the last thing is, uh, hopefully in the new year, I'll have something, I have some more new stuff to, to show everybody. I'm working on a new superhero comic. It's called. It will be called uh, Heroes One and All. I've got the domain, you know, bought, and I've got two the first two pages on my drawing table, and I've got a 31-page script written that I'm gonna draw very soon. I hope. Uh, so I hope uh, when I do, you'll all uh, you'll all check it out because I'm really excited about it. Um, and if you check out my, you know, Facebook and Twitter, I should have some information about a gallery show I'll be doing in, in uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, very soon, probably uh, the first week in January, uh, if not the second. So keep an eye out for that. And that's all I got. All right. All thank right. you, Ben, that's... for coming on. Another th- another three-hour Star Wars podcast. Hot damn. Go ahead, Robert. 
Uh, very briefly, we just had the last 411 Ground and Pound radio show of 2017. Uh, we reviewed UFC on Fox 26, I think it was, which turned out to be the fourth lowest rated. Just kind of sad because the Dos Anjos and Lawler fight's pretty darn good. Uh, really great stuff from Dos Anjos, who might become a two-weight world champion. Uh, he's an exceptional fighter in a lot of respects. We also preview UFC 219, which will go live on the 30th. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Edson Barboza in your co-main event. Holly Holm and Chris Cyborg as the main event. Uh, it's a pretty good main card. Uh, Carlos Condit's back against Neil Magny. <clears throat> Excuse me. Also, you can hear me with a vastly distorted voice because I was still getting over a cold that finally seems to have left my system today. Uh, I will have coverage of UFC 219 on the 30th on the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. The next 411 Ground and Pound show will go live on the 7th of January in 2018. And I'll be back next week with Mark to reveal my personal hell, uh, also known as Jumanji, <laughs> Enter the Jungle. Welcome to the jungle. All right, Welcome folks. To, we are, I hope they we paid are way out of time. Probably. Oh, God, shut up. <laughs> Star Wars Week continues. Metal Hammer of Doom, Galactic Empire tomorrow. And Thursday, we put the Empire Strikes Back on trial. All right, may the Force be with you, always. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.